Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. Hey, hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of There's Still Time, the AFTN Soccer Show, broadcasting on CITR Radio 101.9 FM from the unceded Musqueam Territory at the University of Beautiful, and starting to get far too hot for me, British Columbia. I'm Michael McCall. And I'm Harjeet Johal, and I'm joining my buddy Michael on this lovely sunny day. Sun's out. Guns out. I hope everyone's doing great and enjoying this episode. Yeah, we wanted to get her back on the show before she heads down to Australia for the Women's World Cup. Because, I mean, there's a lot of big spiders and snakes down there, so we don't know how many more opportunities we'll have to get you on the show. But are you looking forward to your trip? Yes. I'm very jealous because I've always wanted to go to Australia and New Zealand. I know you're not going to New Zealand, Although, I guess, are you are you going for the whole tournament? Yes. Right. So, I mean, there could be some games maybe in New Zealand, but... Not for Canada. Their, oh. whole, their whole duration will be in Australia. Okay, that's good, because I don't think you got your New Zealand visa, so that could have been problematic. That would have been 20 more pages of paperwork. I did not want to do. <laughs> yeah, so I, I'm jealous. I hope you have a brilliant time down there. But we've got you on this show, because... We're, we're going to be talking Whitecaps, we're going to be talking MLS, going to be talking League One BC, we're going to be talking Canadian national teams, Canada soccer. Zach's going to join us later on in the show for our Canada chat, but we're, we're going to kick things off by, by looking at the Whitecaps. It was meant to be a two-game week for the Whitecaps. We had a show planned for Thursday that we then shelved because of the, the farce in Colorado on Wednesday night. Well, we'll start off by, by chatting uh, about that, Har. Now, I wasn't able to watch the game live anyway, because I was commentating at a TSS game. So I'd said to the guys, I don't want to get any spoilers, don't tell me anything about the Whitecaps game. I've PVR'd it, I'm going to watch it when I go home. And then one of the guys said, I don't think you will be. And I was like, what? Then he explained the weather situation, I checked Twitter, and I was like, there is no way in hell that this game is getting played. But yet, they waited four hours to call that game off. Absolute farce, Har. Yeah, it was a big, huge, giant farce. It was terrible. Should have looked at some weather models. Some meteorologists should have let them know you can't play that game. You know, the Vanny mentioned how long they were in the locker room. Yes, seven hours. It's yeah, like, seven. holy shit. Drinking espresso. 
I think they have to have some sort of plan going forward. The league does and the MLSPA have to be on the same page and have a certain amount of time before you can call a game. You can't just wait out because the Whitecaps had to shuffle their travel plans to Los Angeles. They had to find hotels in Colorado. And Vanny mentioned how much their operations team did to get new flights, new hotels. And they lost a training day in Los Angeles as well. And, you know, they're cramped in that, that locker room for seven hours. So mm-hmm. it was not ideal. I think the league has to say, hey, after maybe three hours, if there's nothing, you know, postpone the game. And now yeah. the Caps have to go back to Colorado at some point this season. It was just a mess. And I think, you know, if people knew that Storm was rolling in, then they should have kind of had maybe a plan to postpone it earlier because it was just a lost day and a lost night oh. and just a mess. I mean, the the weather was awful like watching the videos and it's like some of us were sharing the photos of the people that had been hit by the hail and had big welts on their back and saw flooding coming down i really felt for kyle braun who's like long time known kyle for a long time listens to the show he was down there and he stuck it out to the very end because you've gone all that way and you've still got the hope that something's going to happen because like during the tss game i kept checking twitter to see what the updates were. And th- there was not many updates, which is shocking because they need, they needed, Colorado needed to be given way more updates than, than they were given. But I, I get it from the league, though. The league's the one that provides the information. So I think both teams were kind of waiting to see what the league was going to do. I think that's what the issue was. They were hoping the lightning would subside and they would be able to play. But then we saw how awful the field was. You couldn't mm. bounce the ball and people would have gotten injured or hurt if they had to play. It'll be interesting when they reschedule it. Now, there is an opportunity during the League's Cup, I would think, to reschedule it if both the teams go out early. You don't think that'll happen? I think it'll be the FIFA window maybe in September because there are... There are a few games on that Saturday, and so mm. I think maybe that could be an opportunity. Obviously, you have to check stadium availability, availability to see if that's feasible. I think that would be the weekend before Vancouver's in Toronto. I'd have to check. Right, and that's right in a horrible period of away games for the Caps as well. It's just, after the League's Cup, they're just away for ages, and yeah, it's, it's going to be a tough end to the season. And it's going to be interesting to see how they cope with that. Th- that's some of our thoughts on it. Vanny spoke a little bit on Friday just about how it was in the locker room and how everything was faced by that. So l- let's hear what Vanny had to-, to say about that. Yeah, it was a pretty, I would say, um, uncommon situation. And... Uh, at the end, we spent uh, almost seven hours in the locker room. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, the game was... Uh, it's, first of all, two good things. I think it's a good thing that we haven't started the game, because if not, it would have been unfortunate to play 10, 15 minutes and then stop. And the second thing, at the end, I'm happy that we didn't play. So, you know, uh, it would have been uh, a, a risk, a gamble on everything, not only on the performance, the quality of the performance, but also on... Uh, injury side after three, four hours sitting in the locker room and, and start again. And also it would be, I would say, pity for all the fans that came to um, Colorado uh, and, um, you know, thousands of people that wanted to see the game and they, they wouldn't have watched the game. So they will have the occasion when we'll play them again. So I also see that, I also read a tweet that was a 
one our fan that, that flew there and everything. So uh, next time that you uh, at the at the game, the tickets is on me. So that's uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, what did you do during that time? I know I was in the locker room area, but for those yeah. who weren't able to get uh, yeah. be a fly on the wall, yeah. what was that seven hours like in the locker room? So yeah, the. I would say the top three activities probably were, uh, were chatting and uh, watching games of MLS, because of course we were looking at the other games, uh, drinking a lot of espresso. Uh, I think I, I don't know how much, uh, because at some point it was also late, 10, 10 a.m., 11, 11 p.m., 11 p.m., drinking a lot of espresso. But the number one was uh, looking at that fascinating weather app with that lady who was in charge of the thing and looking all the thing. I, I look like I feel like a I felt like a meteorologist at some point. <laughs> a new job coming in. Yeah, yeah, you. you know it's. Uh, <laughs> <laughs>so some thoughts from Vanny there about that farce in Colorado. Now, I mean, he mentioned seven hours in the the locker room, but he was happy that they they didn't play because it, he said it was a risk, it was a gamble for potential injuries and also the performance as well. Because I had just watched Scotland play Georgia, and I had come home from work expecting to watch the game on on my lunch on delay, and. I put it on and it's like, oh, it hasn't started. I didn't expect to be watching the game live when I'd got home all those times later. But they played in conditions that the ball wasn't moving. It was splashing about and it was ridiculous. And that game probably should have got called off as well. But of course, you've got international travel, just like we've had international travel. So I do understand that they try and give it as long as possible. But I do agree with you. A three-hour window, I think, is the sensible thing to do with that. Also for the fans... Because it's like if you're there with a family and kids, you're not going to be able to hang about to God knows when, when the game comes back on. It did bring back memories of when I watched the Whitecats back in the USL days. And I've got a video up on, on the AFTN YouTube about this. We played Puerto Rico Islanders and there was like a one and a half or two hour delay for lightning. And we were all under the stand and they, we had to urgently move off the metal bleachers that we were all on when the lightning hit. But again, that was just a crazy situation. But anyway, enough of that. That was the the game going into this three-game road stretch that me, we talked about this on the show, many people thought that Colorado game, that's going to be the best chance for the Whitecaps to break their away day hoodoo, get that first winning over a year. And then when it got called off, it's like, oh boy, how long is this going to go on? But we only had to wait a few more days because, shock of all shocks for me, the Whitecaps went to LA, came away with a big three points. I didn't see that coming. Did you? No, nobody did, except for the Whitecaps. Well, it's good to have that self-belief because if Fanny had said to us on the Friday, we're going to do this, we'd be like, yeah, yeah, I don't think you are. I mean, we won't get into all the ins and outs of the game. We'll talk about the goals in a sec. But what are your general thoughts of of the game and just the the overall performance? Because it was a a unique formation. Vanny mm-hmm. went three one four two. Ryan Gold in a left wing back position. Now, again, I didn't watch this game live because I was out seeing Jimmy Carr on Saturday night, and I'd avoided the score. But I had seen the lineup just before the 
the gig started and I was like, oh boy, they're playing that lineup, three at the back against a dangerous LAFC attack with Ryan Gold playing a weird position and I feared the worst. So when you saw that come out, what were you thinking? When I saw that lineup, I thought, oh, that LAFC offense going to have a really good day. Yeah. But they did not. The no. Whitecaps offense turned up and they created a ton of chances. They had a terrific first half. I think they could have had half a dozen goals. They were really, you know, pushing the pace. They were really getting on LAFC. And they had Illy Sanchez in the center there, center back. I don't know what he was doing, but he oh. was not... He was not ill-equipped to deal with the Whitecaps, that's for sure. He, he was awful. And like he's a decent yeah. player. He's a veteran. He's been in this league for a while. He should have brought old Giorgio in. Yes. And they probably thought, oh, it's okay. We can rest him for this. We hammer he the Whitecaps. He played midweek, though. Yeah. I, yeah, and you do have to manage minutes. And you look at this, and the Seattle game was the tougher game on paper yeah. the, than this Whitecaps game. But... I thought they played really well. I thought they did really well offensively, lots of chances. Uh, I think maybe if they got a couple more goals, that 2-1 goal right at the half, you're like, oh, mm, oh is this going to come back to yeah. bite them? But then Ruam Gold came up, and Ruam had a great <laughs> game. Player of the week of the match day, yes. they call it now. So I think he was like, no, we're not going to lose this. We're not getting a draw. Then Ruam was on fire, and LAFC's defense was terrified. It was a great game. They didn't, you know, bunker. They didn't kind of sit back. They just had a really strong game. I think the team deserved it. They really needed to show that they could win on their own. I think it's going to boost their confidence going forward. And it was just an overall strong performance. And finally, they win in LAFC. You mm -hmm. know, cheeseburgers for everyone after the game. It, it was a performance that shocked me because I didn't know the score. I'd, I'd, I'd switched everything off, so I didn't get any spoilers. And I... I genuinely couldn't believe it i did fear the worst when it went to 2-1 but when because i i thought oh I'll, I'll watch the first five minutes and then i'll maybe just fast forward through bits of it but then when ranko scored that goal two minutes in i was like oh i'm gonna have to keep watching this and not fast forward through it but as you mentioned two first half assists for goldie second half goal that first goal with, with ranko Great delivery from the corner and what a good header as well from Ranko. And thankfully, Laborda didn't try and poke it in on the line and try and claim the goal because he would have been offside and then that would not have counted and everything could have been so different. But I was pleased for Ranko. I've been quite harsh on Ranko over the last couple of years. I think he is having a good season though. He is prone to the odd slip up as we saw later in the game. But I think getting a goal like that does show that he is a good player for this team and I think he needed to get something like that. Yeah, he's had a really strong season. He's kind of been the reliable centre back back there. I know Tristan's had a really strong season, but Rangel's been in the lineup uh, more often than not, except you know when he went to Serbia, the wedding. So yeah, he's been a very important player for the Whitecaps. Good to see him get a goal. And yeah, he's been instrumental in how strong the defence has been. So he's... Really solid. Yeah. The good thing as well from Vancouver, now Vanny had come out before the game and said, I want them to be really aggressive from the start, which yeah. I, I love that because I think that's how teams should approach road games because in MLS, far too many away teams do not approach games like that and you've got a way better chance of cap 
catching the home team off guard by doing that. So even after getting the goal, they were still aggressive. And it is a dangerous ploy to do when you just have three at the back against a very deadly and dangerous attack. Like Buanga and Vela alone could just rip those three players to pieces. But they kept pushing, they kept getting ag aggressive. And your boy, Brian White, continued his, his decent run of games that he's had just now with a, another goal and an, another headed goal as well and a great ball in from Ryan took his time to pick out that that cross to perfection as well and then it was a really good finish by White yeah he's been white hot he's had seven goals this year leads the team you know he, he's got rid of the beard finally and now he's I, I think that's what's done it yeah, it's made a huge difference. I think he saw the great assist that Jake Nowitzki got last weekend. He thought, <laughs> oh, I got to contribute too. My boy Jake's getting this nice yeah, time. So I ignored I all your messages was, about that. He was inspired by how well Jake performed uh, midweek. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he, he took the goal well. And, like, the White Cats are in the ascendancy. Yeah, you had Sergio Cordova, who... Had a good game against Cincinnati. Had a fairly good game in support at times in this one. But still is lacking that match fitness and sharpness in front of goal. And had a couple of chances himself and just couldn't take them. Now, we haven't really spoken to you about your thoughts on Cor Cordova. What have you made of him? He still hasn't scored, which is like... Come on, guy. Score. You're getting lots of chances. I think if he wasn't making the wage that he is, the salary is, he'd be on the bench. So yeah. I think Simon Beatrice should be starting. I would give him more opportunity. He's done really well with the limited time that he's had. I know he's been a super sub, and that's kind of the role they would like, like him in right now. They want to get Sergio going, but I would, I would give Simon more opportunity. I would give him some time to mesh and see and maybe bring Sergio on. As yeah. a sub, because he's starting, and what is he doing? He he got an assist. He did play offensively and create some chances, but he's not burying them. And I don't know what his confidence is. So, yeah, I would make a switcheroo there. I don't know that the coaching staff will do that. They really want to get him going and kind of maybe don't hurt his confidence even further. But uh, yeah, what do you think? Uh, I would go with Betcher as well. I think Betcher and White's an exciting front too. I, I I've spoken of this a lot in the show. I, I want Levante Johnson to get that MLS deal as well. But then you have the quandary, which I kind of mentioned to, to Axel last week, which he, he kind of answered and kind of didn't. That if you have, say, Levante and Simon performing really well, that just puts way more pressure than on Sergio. He needs to get off and running before they maybe start to get around the team for the League's Cup, which I think those two guys might get some minutes for that League's Cup. Even if we get a penalty, let him take it to get that first goal. Of course, if he misses, then you've got a lot more issues there. But, we'll, I mean, we'll cross that bridge. I think goal takes the penalties. Yeah, but, I, like, say we were a couple of goals up and we get a penalty, just let Sergio take it. <laughs> just yeah, get that first goal. I know, I know, that's the big issue then, because that would, like, kill his confidence. I mean, I, I was saying to Zach, I would have, I'd have played him in WFC too to get a bit of confidence going. I don't think they would do that. No, I don't think they will now, because they had the chance to do that. But again, say he played there and didn't start performing, then you've got the confidence aspect as well. But 
I mean, he, he did put in a bit of a shift, but there was a couple of times that he should have done so much better than than he did. And if he had, it wouldn't have been a bit of squeaky bum time going into the half when Ellie pulled that goal back. And, I mean, it, it was well taken by Buanga, who has really put the Whitecaps to the sword at times this season. But I, I feared the worst when he scored. I, I didn't think they would come out in the second half and hold on. But, hey, they did. Yeah, they did. Good job. Hmm. Now, that second half, Gold then put them, restored that two-goal lead in the 63rd minute. Nice yeah. finish from, from Gold as well. But it only lasted then for five minutes before Vela brought it back to 3-2. And like this was a very entertaining game. It was one of the most entertaining games of the season. That first half is definitely one of the best first-half performances or half performances that we've seen from the Whitecaps all year. But I think managing to hold on for that last 22 minutes, and they, they weren't overly troubled in that time. There's a couple of little scares, but I thought they kind of saw it out quite comfortably. And what that will do for the team's confidence now, not just getting this win, not just getting a win against arguably one of the, the, the top two teams in the MLS right now, having come away with drawing the week before against the other top team, Cincinnati in the East, this should set their confidence up big for, for the second half of the season. Yeah, I completely agree. Two matches, one at home, one on the road, and they've come out with two results. Ryan Gold, he's really finding his form. He tends to turn it on more so as the season progressive and pre- progresses, and he's really picked it up. So if he can continue and he can get on a hot streak, we've seen how well him and Brian White play together. So I think that's something fans should look forward to. They have that game at the weekend and three at home, and so we'll see uh, what they can continue. I thought Yohei was pretty good when he needed to be. He yep. wasn't tested too often. I think, you know, the defense was strong. They missed Tristan Blackman as well. He's been really strong yes. back there. So hopefully they can get him back and maybe Rusty Tiber and have more of a complete roster. Obviously, they're going to be missing three players for the next couple of weeks, maybe with Julian and Javain and Ali. So they're going to need some healthy bodies and some of that depth when they get into those three quick home games. Yeah, I mean, it, it's great for those three guys. Javain has gone away with Jamaica off his own accord. And then Julian Gressel, obviously, in with the US. But Ali, so delighted for Ali to to get that call up and just to be part of that, especially with everything that he's been through this season as well that had us all really worried for his health and his future, really. But it's come back strong and it's great to see the rise that Ali has had. It's just a shame he couldn't get that last game before he went against Colorado. Yeah, Mother Nature had other ideas. Hopefully he gets into some of the games for Canada. This is a real opportunity for him to get some minutes. You know, they're not playing powerhouses, so hopefully John gets him some minutes out there. And Julian, I understand he's flying to St. Louis today, so he'll be meeting up with the U.S. men's national team. Uh, Congratulations to the Gressels on the birth of their daughter, it was announced today. So, uh, Oh, I missed happy. that. That's why you were oh, doing you the baby signs. Or yeah, I thought walking. You, did. you didn't see No, that. I didn't see that. Yeah, they had a baby daughter on the weekend. So oh, Julie's joining up with the men's team uh, today. So congratulations to the Gressel family and uh, yeah, Javane Brown with Jamaica. So a very exciting time for all those three players. 
It is. And it's an exciting time for the team. It's an exciting time to follow and cover the team. We were talking about this before we record. And it, it's when the team does well, it's there's just a whole different buzz about it. And it makes covering the oh, team yeah. a lot more fun as they're, well. They're really happy. They, are, they want to talk to you. They're yep. joking. They're in a good mood. They're not tense. And people think maybe when the team's not doing well, that negative stories and negative press people want to read that it's not true like winning teams or successful teams they they do a lot better for your podcast for what i'm writing for what you guys are writing so when the team does good it's really well for everyone all around yeah and it's a very likable team as well this year it's like th- there's some guys you really want to root for you really want them to do well Vanny said that this is the best mls team ever since he's been involved since 2019 and maybe aside from that 2015 team that Robo had, that was quite a special team and really should have gone on and got to an MLS Cup final. I think that was the Whitecaps' best chance to ever do that. That one was the the best team that the Whitecaps have had. And then this is probably the second best team that they've had in the whole MLS era. And he, I, it's like he, he does feel that this team can do so much. What about Vanny? Now, we spoke to Axel in our chat last week and I was asking, oh, are you going to get that deal done with him to sign him back up along with like Julian Gressel? We, Zach and me has got different thoughts on it. He'd like to wait till the season goes out, Zach would, to just to make sure how the season finishes. I mean, what would you do? Would you wait to the end of the season? To, to give Vanny a new deal? Do you want Vanny back for a new deal? Would you give him that deal now just to get that security and get him locked in? I would not give the deal to Vanny right now. I wait till the end of the season to see how it progresses, progresses to see how they get into the playoffs, where they land, and how the team does on that six-game, maybe seven-game monster road trip. I'll tell you who I would sign yesterday, Julian Gressel. Yep. A million times yesterday, like get the deal done before you know he just maybe he wants to change his mind. Maybe he walks, you know, sign. But he's having a he's having now. a fantastic season. He's going to have interest. Um, I mean, they might. We we talked about this on the show. They might have to make him a a DP or at least buy him down to be a very high TAM player. And I think he's worth every penny for that with how he's how he's done this year. Yeah, I would sign him. You know, he's having a great year, as Vanny has said. You know, his price tag's going to go up, and I wonder can how much of that price tag can the Whitecaps afford if it keeps climbing? And what interest would he have from other teams? His wife is from the Boston area. He went to school in Providence. I don't know if he wants to go back to the East Coast. You know, I think they have, they have a house here. I'm not sure if they rented it or if they bought it. But, yeah, get it done yesterday. Just sign him and see – you know, see what happens because you can't really afford to lose that player. He's been so instrumental in the offense. He's a great locker room guy. He does so much in the community. It's exactly what this team needs going forward. And I think they need to get it done. And I'm surprised that they've not gotten it done. You go back to when they acquired him. You knew he was going to be a free agent. It has not changed. You could have signed him in the offseason. You know, I've talked to Axel about it. I've talked to Julian probably too much about it. And you know, they're like, well, we just got to sit down and find the time. You know, they just had 10 days off between games. And so I don't know what the what the situation is, if it's more money, 
it's longer term or what the deal is, but come on, guys, get it. Yeah. Yeah. Money. It's, it's going to be money. All your answers to, to all your questions yeah. are money. So get the money right. Last thing for this part. That's my rant on that. Well, that's good because I, I asked Axel specifically about Julian last week for you because I know you ask him every other week anyway. But last thing for this part, so we, we know the team's doing well and we're getting into the summer transfer window and I asked Axel about this last week and he's open if players come up to, to strengthen the team. Do you feel there's any areas of this team right now that does need to get strengthened to make this team real serious playoff contenders? Maybe fullback. Yeah, Some depth I, back there. Louise Martins has had a, a fairly good season. He can be up and down though, as can Javain. What about centre back? Do you like what we have there? Would you like to add a, a maybe another? Yeah, that's another area. Guy? Maybe some depth there. You know, heaven forbid any of those guys go down or they're suspended because then yeah. you have a, a hole and your your depth is really tested. So I think striker wise, they're good. I think they're good up top in midfield. I think they're good fullback, centre back, and you know defense goalie. You know, I I think Yohei, if you wrap him in bubble wrap, he'll be all right. And so. Yeah. I would say fullback, center back are the maybe the areas. I don't know if they're going to do a trade within MLS. I, I would be surprised if they brought a big signing in from the offseason from Europe or South America. I'd be very surprised if they did that. So I would look for maybe a trade within MLS if they're going to make an addition. Yeah, and they've had a lot of success with the moves from MLS as well in the last couple of years. So, yeah, we'll see what happens. But it was a, a good win for the Whitecaps. It kept them above the playoff line. How did the rest of the Western Conference shape up? How does the East shape up? We'll be back chatting about all of that and a little look around League One BC and the Whitecaps teams in that, along with WFC2. We'll be back with all of that after this. Hi, I'm Ryan Gold and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. Welcome back to the AFT and Soccer Show on CITR Radio 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part, we've gone all the way back to 1989. Although 
The song was originally released in a slightly different version in 1987, but this is the re-released version from 1989. From Leicester in England, that is Diesel Park West. A band started in the early 80s, still going strong to this day. That was their debut single, and then when it was re-released, it was their fifth single, taken from their debut album, Shakespeare, Alabama, which is a fantastic album. By the way, That if you've never heard of this band, check it out. Uh, still regularly play this album all these years later. The song was When the Hoodoo Comes, and I got it back in my head again after writing my match report midweek that the Whitecaps... Away Days Hoodoo had come to an end. It immediately put that song back into my head. And yeah, I've basically been singing it non-stop for the last few days on and off. So, hope you like it, Diesel Park West, when the hoodoo comes. Fun fact, there is also a football connection with the band. Because when they were originally formed in 1980, they called themselves the Filberts after the then home of Leicester City. Filbert Street, changed the name later to Diesel Park West. It's a, it's a good band. I haven't actually listened to their stuff that they have released most recently. So, got, I think, three, four of their earlier albums. So, I need to go back and, and check out some of their more recent stuff. But as mentioned, the Whitecaps Hoodoo came to an end on Saturday night down in LA with that big, big win over LAFC. And it was a much needed win as well to keep the Whitecaps in the playoff positions. At the end of the weekend, the Whitecaps, because they had that midweek game postponed, had dropped down to ninth in the Western Conference standings. They finish this weekend ninth in the Western Conference standings. Three points above the playoff line. Three points above their Cascadian rivals, Portland Timbers, but with two games on hand over them and three games on hand on the 11th place side, Sporting Kansas City, who, of course, they're going to be facing off against with this weekend. So a huge, huge result in many ways for the Whitecaps at the weekend. Just to give a quick rundown of what was happening in MLS West over the last few days, if we go back to Wednesday night, it was a big 4-1 win for Houston over San Jose. Salt Lake went to a faltering St. Louis, came away with a 3-1 win. Two-all draw between the two sides that had been down the bottom of the Western Conference for so long, LA Galaxy and Sporting Kansas City. LAFC, they had a huge 1-0 win. I know I'm using the word huge a lot to describe these games, but it was a very big 1-0 win for LAFC over Seattle on Wednesday night in a battle that I think many people expect to be the top two in the West come the end of the season. First minute goal was the the difference in that from Bugus. Portland went down to a surprise 2-1 defeat at home to Chicago. And then Austin, finding their form, 3-0 win over Texas rivals Dallas on Wednesday night. And they followed that up at the weekend with another 3-0 home win against the other Texan rivals Houston on Saturday. So a good six-point haul with six goals and two clean sheets for Austin. 
And that has put them above the White Caps now in the Western Conference standings, but we'll, we'll come to that shortly. The other Saturday results affecting the Western teams. Kansas City went down to a 1-0 defeat at home to Chicago, so a really good two-game road trip for Chicago, coming away with six big points on the road. In the toilet bowl, and I'm, I'm sure this will surprise nobody that's watched either of these teams over the season so far, it finished Colorado nil, LA Galaxy nil. Really, two teams that are just struggling so much and just looking so poor just now. It was Salt Lake City 2, Minnesota United 2. Portland bounced back with at least a point from their two-game homestand and a 1-0 draw with New York City. St. Louis, maybe not so faltering, as I said earlier from the midweek result, went to San Jose Earthquakes and came away with the 2-1 win. And Seattle capped off a really bad four-day period for them, drawing 0-0 at home to Orlando. So what did all of that mean for the Western Conference standings? Well, St. Louis are still out on top with their 32 points from the 19 games played. That 10 wins that they have under their belt keeps them ahead of LAFC in the standings. They also have 32 points had been top of the table as the Whitecaps went to play them. They just have nine wins, though, on their record, so they drop now to second. Seattle in third on 29. Houston sitting fourth on 27. It's been a, a good run of results for them. San Jose, fifth on 27. Salt Lake, sixth on 27. Dallas, seventh on 26. Then Austin in eighth on 25. And the Whitecaps in ninth on 25. So just two points separating the six teams from 4th to ninth in the West. Lot of football to get played. Lot of changes in these standings that I'm pretty sure we're going to see as well. As I mentioned, Portland just under the playoff line on 22. Then it's Kansas City on 21. Minnesota, who have been in free fall a little bit, on 21. LA Galaxy, second bottom on 15. And sitting bottom of the pile... Colorado Rapids on 14. So it has been an interesting start to to the season in the West. A lot of movement, some surprise results, some surprise teams in the playoff spots, some surprise teams not in the, the playoff spots. There'll probably be some big moves from some of these teams over the summer. But Har, what have you made of the Western Conference so far? Yeah, there's been a lot of change uh, throughout the Western Conference. I know St. Louis is near the top or at the top. And LAFC has had a, a strong season, except for the last game for them. Um, yeah, there's been a lot of shifting around. Uh, Whitecaps, obviously, with that Colorado game being postponed, they have a game in hand. So I expect some more movement throughout the, the season. We know, we're not going to really know who the playoff teams are maybe as we get closer to Labor Day or into September. So, yeah, I think they're in a good spot, the Whitecaps. They just got to keep winning, keep getting results. And I think that first win on the road, I think that's going to be – perfect for them as they head into the dog days of the summer when they've got six, maybe seven road games in a row. So I think they're in a good spot. They're in a good position. They have a three-game homestand coming up after this game on the weekend. So yeah, they're doing uh, very well and I think the fans should be very excited and very pleased with how the team is performing. What did you make of Vanny's proclamation on Saturday that, that the team needs to aim for the sky and that there's no team in this league that is better than them? 
I mean, he likes to make like big bold statements yeah. like that. So it's not a surprise. I mean, they're obviously doing very well. They're in a good form right now. So, you know, I think, you know, they're a good team. The best team in the league? Certainly not. I think we need to see more consistent results on the road. More wins on the road for me would be a start. I was speaking to Vanny uh, on Tuesday at training. And I said, you know, would you put more of an emphasis on doing well in the, in the tournament next month? You have uh, those two games coming up. Or would you want to see the team pick up wins on the road? Is that bigger? And he said road wins. So he mm-hmm. wants to see the team doing well on the road. And obviously that's going to determine uh, you know where they are in the playoffs, if they make the playoffs. So I think small steps, it's good that they're doing very well and they're getting very excited. But, you know, you've got to keep getting the results. You can't go into SKC and lay an egg on the weekend. So oh, yeah. you need to see big results going forward, keep making progress, keep making steps. So, yeah, I think he's good. He always gets excited about lots of stuff. So we'll see what else he says. He does. And it's interesting as well, because now that they've won the Canadian Championship, they know they're in the Champions League next year. And that was really the big incentive for doing well in the League's Cup. So that buys him a bit of time to try some stuff and try some of the younger players and get them time. So if I was to put you on the spot right now, do you see the Whitecaps making the playoffs? And are they going to be a top four team? Are they going to be a top seven team? Or are they going to be battling it out for this wildcard spot in eighth and ninth? I think they will make the playoffs. I do not think they will get top four. Uh, no chance. I don't think so. I don't think so. Good luck. I think they'll get seven, eight, or nine because I still want to see consistency on the road. I want to see more results. And they have a, a tough schedule. They've got Seattle coming up at home. They always play them well. And there's always going to be results in the second half of the season where maybe they win a game and they're not supposed to, or they lose a game they're not supposed to. So. Uh, we'll see how they go. I think they'll make the playoffs, but you've got to be really strong and have a terrific form to get top four in the Western Conference. So I think they'll make the playoffs for sure. And I think it'll be interesting to see if they have to play in that eight nine match or mm. if they can avoid it. So yeah, I think we should get it too. We should get excited. We should not have our heads explode yet. I'm very confident they're a playoff team. I think they'll be top seven if they can win the remaining home games and find a way to continue this road form that would make them top four but that is a lot to ask so that's it for the west we, we won't delve into the east too much as we usually do but still leading the way in the east are fc cincinnati 43 points from their 19 games that gives them a seven point lead over second place new england Want to just have a quick look though at the two Canadian teams in the East. FC Montreal had a four-point four-day period, one-nil win against Nashville at home on Wednesday night. Bryce Duke getting the only goal of that one in the 27th minute. Then travelled to Charlotte on Saturday, came away with a nil-nil draw there. So a good point on the road. Montreal, the only Canadian team that's actually registered an away victory up until Saturday night. So the Whitecaps now match them with one win apiece. But I think those records show just how tough it is for the the Canadian teams on the road this season. And it was a big four points for Montreal because those results kept them above the playoff line. 
They're sitting in 8th in the East on 26 points from their 19 games played. Two points above the 10th place team, Charlotte, who have played at a game extra, and live on points with 9th placed DC United, who have also played a game extra. But let's turn our attention now to the other Canadian team in the East. And it's not been a good few days. It's, let's be honest, not been a good season in general for Toronto FC just now. Travelled to Cincinnati on Wednesday night on the wrong end of a 3-0 loss to the league leaders. Arliss opened the scoring for Cincinnati in the 35th minute. Acosta added a second in the 54th before Dominic Badgey rounded the scoring off in the 64th. So from playing the league leaders on the Wednesday, they had to travel to play second place New England at the weekend, going down to a 2-1 defeat. Opening the scoring through DeAndre Kerr 11 minutes in, but the Revs came storming back. Bobby Wood tied things up in the 33rd minute, and then the winning goal came seven minutes into the second half from Giacomo Ferroni. Those results seeing TFC rooted down the bottom of the standings. They're sitting second bottom on 19 points from their 20 games. Only kept off the bottom spot by Inter-Miami, who have been terrible as well this season. They're sitting on 15 points, but they have two games in hand on TFC. And they've also actually registered two more wins than TFC. TFC only three wins on the season. They do have 10 draws, though which is the highest in not just the East, but all of MLS. And if they could only just find a way to turn some of those draws into victories, the situation maybe wouldn't be as bad as it is. And it might have kept Bob Bradley his job, because the big news coming out of Toronto on Monday morning was TFC fired head coach Bob Bradley. Long overdue, in my opinion, Har. Were you surprised that he's gone now or that it took this long for him to to even go? Yeah, I was surprised it took this long for it to happen. It's kind of like they were waiting for a result to see if they could get a run of form or pick up things. So, uh, yeah, surprised. I'm more surprised. But who they have is the interim coach, Terry Dunfield. I know. I don't know how that's going to work out, but definitely it's going to be interesting to follow Toronto FC for the rest of the season. Uh, the Whitecaps have a, a game in September at Toronto, so uh, another angle. We'll see how they're doing by then. But yeah, surprised it took this long. We'll see if the players adapt with the new interim coach, if they can pick up results. Uh, it's always exciting with Toronto FC. They're always doing really, really well or really, really bad. And obviously Terry's mum's going to be very busy now making some new suits for him. Yeah, maybe she can call up Canada Soccer and hook up with a discount there. Oh, yeah, they could be looking for some cheap deals. But it's a great opportunity for Terry. It's like, I I like Terry, and he's a guy that's been very supportive of TSS as well. So it's great to see him get this opportunity. Who they bring in after that, I mean, hey, Greg Vanny might be available again quite soon. They might want to bring him back. Or maybe Mark DeSantis will look to complete the trifecta of managing the Canadian teams. Maybe they could phone their old friend, Carl Robinson. Oh, maybe... You know, that would be an interesting one. I, I think they'll go for a big name, though. I think to match the big name players, I think they need to go for a big name. Well, Michael, it's fine lines for sure. 
So just to finish off this part, we'll turn our attention to some of the other Whitecaps teams and the action that they have been in in the past week. We'll start in MLS Next Pro with Whitecaps 2. And for the first time this season, the team suffered back-to-back defeats, going down to a 2-0 loss at Minnesota United 2. And then that was followed by a 3-1 defeat at Swanguard on Thursday night by LAFC 2. And it's been a tough time for the second team. They've been heavily depleted. Got to mention that. A lot of academy under-19 guys were, were called up for that game against LAFC. You had Gio Aguilar and JC Gando up with the first team. There's a, a slew of injuries on the team as well. One of them, Jay Herdman. He injured himself in the, the previous home game against Real Monarchs. He's got a knee injury, which hasn't thankfully turned out to be as bad as first feared, but could be one that's going to keep him out for the rest of the season. We wish Jay, obviously, all the very best and fingers crossed for a speedy recovery and he might even get back before the season wraps up. Despite those two defeats, though, the Whitecaps still sit third in the Western Conference standings in MLS Next Pro, nine points behind the, the leaders Colorado Rapids, too. And the way that Colorado's playing in MLS, they might be want to have a little look at calling up some of those guys because they've had a fantastic season and only lost one game so far. Sitting second in the Western Conference is Austin FC, too. They're five points above the Whitecaps. And then level with the Whitecaps on 26 points is Tacoma Defiance. They have played two games less, though, than Whitecaps 2. So if they can win those, they'll not only move above them in the Western Conference standings, which doesn't matter as much in the grand scheme of things. It's You want to kind of be winning your your actual division. And the Whitecaps are in the, the Pacific Division of the Western Conference, where they lead the way just now because of the number of wins that they have. So that looks like it could be a, a good battle towards the end of the season between Whitecaps 2, Tacoma Defiance and San Jose Earthquakes 2. Now, we'll always stress, because the Whitecaps always stress to me, that Whitecaps 2, it's all about development. It's not about wins and losses. It's not about making playoffs, winning championships, etc., etc. Although it is for the players. If you speak to any of them, they want to go all the way. They want to get to the postseason. They want to win this thing. And for me watching as well and covering the team, I want them to, to do that, obviously, as well. And I want them to win and disappointed and pissed off when, when they don't. But ultimately, the goal is to help get these guys ready for MLS. And the, the team's certainly been doing a good job so far. And if you haven't had a chance to, to get out to see any of those matches yet, you really should couple of the games that they've got coming up are actually going to be taking place at BC Place because Swan Guard, it's not going to be available to Whitecaps 2, to TSS during July and August because they're doing track and field renovations at the stadium. So double header for those games as well with the first team. So it's all very exciting if you can get down to BC Place for that on July 8th and July 15th. And I mentioned that some of the the Whitecaps under-19 team, the the League One BC side, were kind of pulling double, triple duty over the last few days because they'd been called up to the the MLS Next Pro Whitecaps 2 roster. But they also had a pair of matches over the last few days. 
On Wednesday, they headed to Swan Guard, came away with a very dramatic one-all draw. If you haven't seen the goals from that one, go over to YouTube and check it out on the League One BC YouTube channel. Myself and Gideon Hill had the call on that. Absolutely stunning goal to open the scoring for TSS in that one from Nika Papakiriakopoulos, former Whitecaps Academy alumni. And then in the last minute, another alumni back with the League One BC side for this season, Patrick Isaac, scored an absolute worldie from just inside the TSS half and just caught everyone out by surprise, including TSS goalkeeper Justin Sandu. Definitely going to be up there for goal of the season for Patty. So that was a, a very good game. And then on Sunday in North Vancouver, the Whitecaps came from a one-goal deficit at the half. A pair of goals from Michael Hennessy gave them a 2-1 win over Altitude FC at Kinsman Field. And Michael Hennessy is a prospect. Keep an eye on him. He's going to be going the college route with SFU Red Leafs. So looking forward to seeing how he does when he makes the move into NCAA Division 2. But he is having an absolutely fantastic season so far. Six goals on the year. Five of those actually coming against Altitude. So he obviously likes playing against them. Now that win for the Whitecaps moved him into third place in the League 1 BC men's division standings. They've played 10 games. They've got 17 points. Highlanders FC from Victoria in second place on 20 points and leading the way is TSS Rovers also on 20 points. The Rovers get the goal difference advantage, they're on plus 17, that sees them leading the way over the Highlanders who are plus 7 and the Whitecaps just on plus 4. And the final game of the season is in Victoria, TSS at the Highlanders so that should be an absolute cracker. All the teams have four games left of the regular season. The top four teams advance into the postseason. First place fourth, second place third to move on to the championship game. Now, talking of TSS and just moving away from the, the Whitecaps for a second, got a chance to catch up with TSS Rovers League One BC head coach Darren Rusher. And this was an interview that we did at the midway point of the season. And TSS have played a couple of games since then. But what he's saying is still obviously very relevant. We'd hope to bring this out in the midweek show that we're going to have after the Colorado game. But that got shelved. So we're bringing you that now. As Darren just gives his thoughts on the team so far, the battle ahead and everything. League One BC. And How have you seen these first seven games, the first half of the season, play out? Uh, I've, I've seen it as, um, you know, like the first two were, were mainly us focusing on the Canadian Championship, which caused a bit of a problem for our start. After that, it's been focused on League One, and, you know, outside of one result, I think we've done very, very well. And even the one result, we didn't play at our best, but we were there or thereabouts to, to hang around and try and get something from the game. So... I look at it like this, when we've set ourselves up, focused on League One, we are a very strong team and we're going to be there or thereabouts right at the end of the season and uh, we're going to be a challenge for anybody for sure. Obviously there's so much football still we get played with seven games but it's in your own hands now to finish top, 
but you've got six of your last seven away from home. So you've not really had to experience much of that so far. Does that factor into it in this league, or is it all like so many of these guys are used to playing on all these pitches anyway? Yeah, I think that's a, that's the key, especially lower mainland. We all, we all know the pitches, right? Chase Field and, and Warren Field or whatever. It's not like oh, we're going to some other. When we go to Kamloops, a little bit different. Mm. I think they're playing at MacArthur Island. We didn't play there last year. We played at the stadium, and um, so that that's going to be a bit different. The whole travel element to that. Um, I think it's just the games where we're on the island, we're in Kamloops, where we have the travel sort of uh, stressor happening. Those are the only things. Outside of that, when we travel away here in the Lower Mainland, to me, it, I don't I don't see a significant difference. The last two games are obviously on the island. Having that experience of going over to Pacific, that'll probably help. Yeah, yeah, well, and, and, you know, we've sort of built routines into it now where, you know, even last year we're kind of like, oh, but now we have a routine, so, and I think the routine helps everybody. It's like, okay, we're going to go do this. We're going to go, it's not like, oh, what are we doing? What are we going to sit around? Like, what are we, and so the routine helps everybody kind of feel like, oh, yeah, we know what we're doing. This is what we do. And so I think it's going to be fine. Uh, and, yeah, like you said, we, we've already done this with, with Pacific, so it's not going to be a big deal. What do you feel the team needs to work on then for the second half of the season to get to to be the, the contender, to get that number one spot, to be the favourites going into the, the playoffs? Uh, I'd like to see us start a little bit stronger. Um, not that we've been poor necessarily last week. We were poor. First 20 minutes, we were awful. Probably the worst I've seen us play. Um, outside of that, we're just starting a little bit cautiously which is okay, but I think we have lots of opportunities to kind of get on top of teams in that early portion of the game, and we're not super taking it. So I'd like to see us start a little bit quicker, a little bit more efficiently, a little bit more aggressively. And I'd like to see us kind of put away our chances and our opportunities when we do get into the final third, or we have outnumbered attacks like we did. We had a 4v3, and we turned around and played it backwards. You know, so those little things, I think we get a little bit more efficient going towards their goal, a little bit more aggressive in the first 20 minutes coming out of the game, and I think we're, we're flying. Obviously, clubs have been paying interest to some of the players. I know Ivan's been having trials with Vancouver FC. Do you expect to lose some guys before the end of the season? I do. I hope to. I hope we do. You know, and, and uh, it's a good problem having players of that standard who the next level are looking at and our whole point of being here and existing is to push these guys on and to never see them again so you know it's a good problem to have we have a deep squad as we keep saying you know and uh every week the lineup changes and different players are coming in and and we don't drop a beat and so uh i hope they move on i hope they find you know a contract at the next level because i believe that we're we're good enough to to solve it yeah it's never fun losing a player like mucho but uh you know we'll, we'll be okay TSS Rovers men's League One BC head coach Darren Roosh are there. The Rovers four games left to play. If they can finish first again, they will book a second straight Canadian Championship berth. And after all the excitement that their run generated this year, that is the big goal for everyone at the club just now. Some tough games coming up. They make the big trip out to the interior to play Rivers FC on Friday, followed up by an away game at Notsamot up at UBC, 
Then they finished the season with two games over on the island, Harborside FC in Nanaimo and then the Highlanders in Victoria. So it's certainly a really good battle developing in the men's division of League One BC. On the women's side, the Whitecaps very much in the mix for the playoffs there. I mean, they're all but assured that they are going to be in the playoffs. They're currently sitting second in the League One BC women's division standings. They've got a game in hand on the leaders, not so much, and they're four points behind them now. So that game in hand would bring them within a point. And those two meets on Canada Day up at Thunderbird Stadium. So if you're looking for some football on Canada Day, get out to that because that's going to be an absolutely fantastic match. The Whitecaps girls came from behind on Wednesday night at Swan Guard to see off TSS Rovers 2-1. Then they were involved in a real battle with Altitude on the North Shore on Sunday. A one-all draw in that one. Breaking Altitude hearts in the process with a goal five minutes in a second half stoppage time from Ashley Roberts. Giving the Whitecaps girls Rex Elite a crucial point in their battle. They would have liked all three, obviously, as they battle for first. The top two teams will host playoff games. So right now, they're looking good there, but they're in a three-way battle with Unity FC as well, as not so much. Unity sitting third on 20 points. TSS Rovers went to Unity on Saturday afternoon and came away with a huge 3-1 victory, denting Unity's chance for a home playoff game or even a first-place finish in the standings. TSS Rovers, though, that moved them into the playoff spots. They're in the fourth and final playoff picture just now, with 14 points from their 10 games played. They're also in a battle for that spot with Harborside, who's on 13 points from their 10, and Altitude, who now dropped to sixth after dropping those two points, just showing how crucial that game was. They've got 12 points from their 10 matches. But the Whitecaps girls team, defending champions in League One, won the championship with a 2-1 win over Notsamot last year. And they have just gone from strength to strength. It's a really young side. There's a lot of 15, 16, 17-year-old girls in that. Like last year, they're going to be losing a bunch of graduating seniors who are heading down to college in the States. Eight of them, I think it is, that, that's moving on to American colleges. So that's going to give some of the even younger girls a chance to get some minutes here. The Whitecaps girls having a fantastic season in league play. They'd also gone over to Switzerland and won the prestigious FIFA Blue Stars tournament a few weeks back there. And that was just another tremendous achievement for Katie Collar and her side. So I haven't had a chance to catch up with Katie since then, or really at all so far this season. So I spoke to her after the TSS game on Wednesday night, just to chat about that victory, the League One BC campaign, and the prospect that the Whitecaps won't just have a girls League One side in the coming years, but also a fully grown professional women's team in the new Project 8 League. Here's Whitecaps FC girls head coach, Katie Collar. So, Katie, first chance I've had to, to speak to you this year, but we'll talk about the game tonight with TSS. Could easily have had another five, six, seven goal performance, but 
you, you got the victory, you came from behind and you're still very much in this battle for first night. Yeah, you know, it was a, it was a good hard-fought battle. TSS always gives us a good game and, you know, we always have to prepare really well for it. And I think the girls battling through the goal in the initial kind of first minute and coming back and being able to push through that, we do need to start to finish our chances in games like that. That's going to be something that either gets us through or holds us back in terms of that first place battle. What have you made of the team so far? It's a great battle just now with not some lot unity and yourselves, but the, the team that we saw finish last year seems to have continued into this year but got even better. And that experience that the young ones got last year, is that kind of the crucial aspect of it? Yeah, absolutely. The experience that the young ones got last year made a big difference. I think we're the same team this year that we were for the final and just a year more experience. You know, we had the experience in Switzerland as well, um, giving them those opportunities to play against high quality opponents. And I think it's just a year older, a year more experienced. And we also have a couple of the young ones that have come in and made a big difference. Kira Martin, who's starting for us at centre back, didn't get the start tonight, but has been a consistent player for us, uh, probably has the most minutes for us and is our youngest on the team. So. And then once again, you're losing a big bunch of players for the, the tail end of the season. Last year, you said it's just the next person up. Is that the same message this year as well? Absolutely. I think we've done a bit of a better job this year of preparing the ones coming through. I think that, you know, having the U20 national team players away has given some of the other ones a chance to step up. And we've had some consistent starters uh, from the 06 group, the 07 group throughout the season. So, you know, I think we've done a better job preparing to lose the seniors this year, but it is still a big blow losing two captains and some of our key players. Been two of the, the key players for you aren't going so I want to talk just about a couple of them Kiera Blundell what a season she's having yeah. second half hat trick last time out and she could easily have another hat trick tonight she seems a really good talent yeah absolutely Kiera Blundell is uh, she's having a great season she's a kid that got injured last year uh, we didn't get to see a lot of her in the league one season last year and she came in she came in fit she came in strong she came in ready to score some goals so um, very impressed with her and she's also a key leader for us so she's a big personality that that really pushes us forward in terms of standards and Geneva as well 16 with the U20s now going to World Cup what's the ceiling for her because it seems really exciting yeah, Geneva is one that I think the sky's the limit for. Uh, you know, as long as she gets her, her details right and she continues to push the way that she is. Uh, she's, you know, one of the best midfielders at the U20s, I think. And, you know, pushing forward, I think she can go wherever she wants to go. Two last things. I haven't spoken to you since you were over and won that thing in Switzerland. I mean, what an experience that was. And, like, just talk me through that, that tournament and just what it means to you as well as a coach that leads your, your girls to that trophy. Absolutely. The... The FIFA Blue Stars tournament was such a cool experience. Just from the time we got there, the professionalism, the types of people we were around, the other programs and players, uh, it was super cool. I think one of the best parts about it was, you know, day one we get there and we're a little bit unsure of what it's going to be. And I think as we grew into the tournament and we really could see, like, we're at the level, we are good enough, and we can compete at that level with those international teams. So I think for us, you know, it meant a lot. It meant a lot to win the tournament. It meant a lot to have Leah Parsons, one of our seniors, get the golden gloves. She saved three pens to get us through the semifinals and the finals. Uh, Naima Ingleton got player of the tournament as well, which is a huge one for her. So uh, super proud of the individual accolades, but also from a team perspective, it was unreal. The other big thing that's changed since we last spoke is Project 8, a women's league coming. Whitecaps definitely have a team in it. 
Is there a buzz amongst these players because they know that they've now got somewhere that they can be playing? Absolutely. I feel that Project 8 has given them something else to look forward to and it just gives that much more fire as they come through. I think, you know, at times in the in the t in the the year where they would get a little bit complacent or times in the year where they would get a little bit like, ugh, like where are we going? What are we doing? Like now they know where they're going or they know where they could be going. So it gives them that carrot to continue to push through and, and uh, try to get to that next level. So I think it's a really big one for us and you can feel it within the team that they just want to keep going. Fantastic. Well, good luck for the rest of the season. Very exciting times in the women's side of the Whitecaps as well as the men's. Katie Collar there, just breaking some things down for us. So a big double header at Thunderbird Stadium on Canada Day if you want to get out for some footballing action. As the Whitecaps men and women head to take on Notts Mots men and women. The men's match goes at 1 o'clock. The girls game goes at 3.30. It'll be a fantastic occasion. Get out there if you can and support all the Whitecaps teams from the very, very top down to the very, very young ones in the academy. But that is it for our Whitecaps chat for this show. That is it for our MLS chat for this show. We're going to be turning our attention now to the national teams. The mess at Canada Soccer, the Gold Cup, the World Cup, the recently played Nations League. There's a lot to talk about at international level. We're going to be joined by Zach to do all of that after this. This is Atiba Hutchinson and you're listening to the AFTN Show. Welcome back to the AFT and Soccer Show on CITR Radio 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part, it's our Artist of the Month here at AFTN for the month of June. They're wrapping up this episode, so we're going to bring you two songs this week. We're right up to date with them. This is a song from their 2023 album that just came out in May. Fantastic album it is as well, called Hard Cold Fire. That's Irish band Therapy and their song from that album, Ugly. Talking of ugly, 
Look who's joined us. It's Zach. Welcome, Zach. I didn't mean you were ugly. I meant your, what we're about to talk about is ugly because it's Canada soccer. Oh, my. Yes. Before we get into that, how have you been, my friend? You missed the show last week. Yeah, I've been good. Well, no, yeah, you did. The, that was the the year, the year, this mid season. Yeah, review. that was the one we yeah. did with Felipe. Yeah. Uh, we were going to have you on for to talk about Canada, yeah. and then the Axel chat that I was thinking I was going to do before the show that hadn't got done. I didn't know when we were going to do it, and then I got yeah. a chance to do it on Monday. So we bumped you for another German. Yeah, I'm sure yeah, you didn't the, mind. The uh, midway through the season, Whitecaps review get, keeps on getting better. Oh, it, it does. And the second half of the season's got off to a great start. Harmi yeah. covered that in the, the first two parts. Congrats to them on, on beating LAFC away. I know that's, I think it's, it's, uh, it's not just, a, a, you know, three points and a way of victory. It builds belief that if they qualify for the cup, they'll, they'll be heavily leaning on that experience with their players if they have to play a oh, yeah. world game. I mean, that's all you need to do as Vanny, though, is to sit down and go, look, you've done this once. Yeah, let's do it beat. again. And he's, he's already said he feels they can beat anyone in, yeah. in the league. And to be fair, on their day, probably every team probably can, apart from maybe Inter-Miami right now. But that'll, <laughs> that'll change when they get some Argentine guy coming in. And a Spaniard. Yeah. And others. <laughs> and everyone that they can somehow circumnavigate their... They're spending on. I'm sure yes. they won't get caught. That, I, I think their 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 messy signing allows them to circumnavigate things that they got in trouble for circumnavigating. Yes, because who 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 wouldn't want a player like Messi? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he's now a league owner. His his salary does not count against your cap. <laughs> yes. Ah, <laughs> uh, Ronaldo. He's bound to come over next. No. Well, I mean, he doesn't have he doesn't have the barriers he used to have. I guess, but oh um, yeah. Oh, I forgot about all that. Yeah, yeah. Let, let's move on. Let's, right? yes. let, yeah. let's turn our attention to Canada. In the next part, we're going to talk Nations League Gold Cup and bid a farewell to Atiba Hutchinson. We've got some audio coming up from him. But in this part, this wasn't scheduled when I was planning what we we're going to do for the show. But some breaking news, really, that came out on Monday. So we'll chat about that in this part with Zach and Har. Rick Westhead from TSN, sat down with Jason DeVos, the interim General Secretary of Canada Soccer, and a very interesting, fascinating, strategic, I would say, interview as well with Jason, just talking about the financial situation at Canada Soccer. Now, before I get into that, last night, when I was catching up with the CPL highlights on YouTube, once there was an interesting one soccer uh kind of talking heads piece it had the headline about Canada Soccer's financial woes and stuff so i thought oh I'll, I'll listen to that it'll be interesting and andy petrillo raised that whilst they had been down in vegas a number of the journalists were talking about could Canada Soccer declare bankruptcy and get out the CSB deal that way. So, like, the, the, the three guests, um, Oliver Platt and Gareth Wheeler and, and Jordan, none of them had heard this, and they were like, what? That doesn't make any sense. And then the very next day, this drops from Rick Westhead, where 
in amongst a number of things in it, and we'll we'll start with the big talking points, Zach. They're not ruling it out. It's not off the table. It's not their first choice to do. But Canada Soccer would consider declaring bankruptcy to get them out of the financial mess that they appear to currently be in. Now, to me, that is just crazy stuff. I I I I would disagree with with that based on having read the article that that's it's on the table. I think Devos said, uh, you know, Jason Jason Devos, who's uh, I think uh, been a good servant of Canadian football from a player to a coach to now an administrator. Um, I think he essentially said that they've evaluated it because they need to evaluate everything, and I don't think it's. I don't think he said it's on the table or something they're actively, you know, pursuing, but they're but they were looking at. I think what would that mean? Yeah, if, all, if all options. Yeah, and yeah. All options. I I guess that was the big headline yeah. that of course the got, headline. got the clicks really yeah. today. But I mean, he, I, I guess yeah. If we're if we're being fair, it, you have to consider everything. So let let me put another question to you. Then we'll get bring Har into this. Should a governing body have got themselves into such a financial state that they even have to consider that when you've got the Olympic gold winners on the women's side, a team that's just been at a World Cup, a team that's about to host a World Cup, and there's a golden generation of talent there? How do you let yourself get to that stage? So I think the first thing in talking about this is we're talking about a, a puzzle with only looking at a few of the pieces, right? Yeah. We, we can Until only see... this audit comes out. Well, I bet you even then we won't even see no, all the movies. Obviously, being, being it, sounds, it sounds like we'll see more. So I think that's the first thing that's important to say is that we don't know what the whole... We don't know all the pieces that have made up where we're at, right? How they've gone to here. So, you know, everything we say is... Um, you know, auto-corrected by 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 that accurate information, right? Like that's true. On, only um, certain stuff has leaked out, and a lot of the stuff that has leaked out has come from the yeah, player so side. I think what I, I guess partly my thoughts on this uh, are not dissimilar to the thoughts I've shared in the past. I think number one, the Canadian Soccer Association exists to develop the game holistically in Canada. Um, having uh having professional leagues for both men and women. Um, are a significant part of that. Uh, going back many years now, the Easton report talked about how it's critical to continue to be able to develop players. We need to have our own domestic league. Uh, so I think I think it's important that the CSA um, uh, played a played a significant role in in helping make and helping make the CPL possible. I think there's no CPL without the CSB. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously people are going to argue about the merits of that. Like we've, like I've said before, um, you, you want to talk about a bad financial situation. Like I think, I think because I think because of where things are at, um, I, I think it's almost like things are worse because there's more expectations and there's more like going you, when you're the men, you go to the world cup. Yeah. They got money for it, but there was also incredible expenditures involved in that. Um, and all, and, and, and on <laughs> On top of that, it wasn't just it wasn't just going to the World Cup. It was the the fourteen matches to qualify for the World Cup, which we hadn't participated in since 
what qualifying for 98 or qualifying yeah for no, that's interesting because her and me were chatting about this earlier and that was one of the things i'd mentioned to oh, her it, it's it's it, the, the amount of money on those things alone is is crazy they would have never played 14 games in those windows uh so i think that that's the significant thing but i think the CPL, I know everyone out there is like, oh, the C, the CSB deal is wrong. It shouldn't have had blah, blah, The, C, the CSB deal is, it, it, one, turned a loss into profit. You can you can say not enough profit. That's a fair, especially especially at this moment in time. And looking back, you're like, yeah, it wasn't enough profit. But at the time, it turned something that cost the money. That was mm-hmm. uh, something they had to pay for, and they turned it into a, a a revenue creator generator or whatever the whatever the correct term term is right um uh and at the time also again like we said before no one in their right mind said like no one other than like hopeful voyagers with a glint in their eye said oh yeah we're going to be at the 2022 world cup right i think i think making and and and, if, and remember remember we weren't even in the actual final qualifying stage for the 2022 world cup without the pandemic Right, like we weren't in that for. I mean, we would have had a longer road, but it could have ended earlier. Uh, it would have been different. What, whatever. Yeah. But so, like, there's all there's all these there's all these move there's all these moving parts that again we I don't know I, I we're talking about these things, but again I don't know what those fourteen seven home seven away matches I don't know what they cost I don't know what the the longer road would have cost you know yeah uh, for them. Well, I mean that that was the thing I was saying to heart because I I. I I don't know, but based on like MLS, because MLS had to charter everywhere uh, at that time. So did they have to charter into these countries, which would have yeah. cost a, a pretty oh, yeah. penny, as well yeah. as bringing the players over? So, I mean, let's bring Har in now. Now, obviously the CSB side of it is something that everyone's talking about, and we've gone into that a lot on the show. So we won't delve too much into it, but we can't not talk about it. But first thing I want to ask you, Har, when you read that, piece this morning what what was your initial thinking and like were were you surprised that it had maybe got to the stage do you see it as strategic is this a way to put pressure on csb to renegotiate the deal the way that the csa want it negotiated yeah i wasn't too surprised uh it was a very lengthy article which westhead had I think it's kind of a strategic move, kind of a, a ploy, maybe something to try and renegotiate the CSB deal or maybe get a, a better deal that helps Canada soccer. I think that's kind of what I read from the uh, the piece today to see what they can kind of have going forward where it's a better deal for Canada soccer. But then I'm of the mind of, you know, why would CSB want to renegotiate? Why would they want to uh, you know, maybe tear up the deal. I, I can't see that. You know, they're getting are, good are money. You, are you you're aware that Noonan has come out and said that they they're they they're open to amending the deal to altering it? Yeah, but how much though? Like yeah, that's what I wonder. Because that's the thing. It's like I am pretty sure that the way that What's CSB he gonna say? wants no, to amend we're not it. Amend it. Yeah, I mean he has to to say that. No. But also, they're not going to want like they they need this money. Because without CSB, I don't think the CPL exactly can exist. The C- the C- clubs are losing it, money hand it, over fist. It's not. It's not just exist. The CPL would not have ever started if there was no, no CSB. That I know, but I'm talking yeah, about but now. now. Yeah. So yeah, of course, yeah, they're they're nowhere near. They're nowhere near. But but the 
but Noonan has come out and said that we're we've talked to the CSA, CSA. We've told them we're willing to uh, amend it. I know there was some discrepancy over the language, uh, you know, uh, around oh, that. Oh yes, uh -huh. but I know I know they're definitely willing to amend it. That would see an increased amount of money go to Canada Soccer to yeah, help. But we don't know how Canada much that increases. That that's the thing, and th we do, like, sure we don't know how much the increase is, but it's still it's still an increase. There's still a willingness to say. As as a significant uh, and I hate this language, a significant stakeholder in the game, they they exist to help grow the game, right? The, none of their people like I think some people are like, oh yeah, these people are making away with all this money. I, I can't tell you enough that none of these owners, are, one, are making money, and none of them, as I've talked to some of them, none of them have taken money for themselves or for their organization, like as a profit out of the money they've gotten out of the the CSB mm -hmm. deal. It's all gone into football, the football clubs, the football infrastructure, whatever. To and again, there that money has not covered what it costs them to run their teams, right? Like it's they're not. There's no one here is making money at this moment. The goal is long term to make money, right? So the fact that they 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 even realize and say, yeah, you know what, to make this work better, we've been given this opportunity to help grow the game with a a, a return, hopefully one day down the road. But we see. To, to to even get to that possibility to get to that to that ideal we need to alter this so that we can help whatever raise the sink the, one of the cis ships that's sinking or whatever which mm. whatever you that's the csa the national teams the the grassroots youth stuff what however whatever however you want to think about that futsal um, amputee football they, so they recognize that 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 something needs to be done and so they're they're willing to to play a role in it which i think is uh, is a positive thing, even if you're someone who hates the CSB or the CPL or or whatever. If they're at the point though where they're contemplating maybe thinking about thinking about going for bankruptcy, then I wonder how much the negotiations with CSB to alter the deal are going. Like, are they maybe in a standstill, or what's happening mm. with that? I, if they have I, to go to bankruptcy, perhaps. I don't think I don't. I, Unless there's been negotiations or whatever in the last whatever or it discussions is, or something two, two to three two to three weeks, I, I think that the the CSB has not heard back from the from the CSA partly because the CSA obviously went through some ex, extremely significant leadership transition recently. Have they tried emailing them? You know that might. No, they. Well, I mean, they, Richard Scott's not there anymore, so email might work now. Oh, Michael, that's harsh. But fair and true. But now, the, the, like, there's so much into this. And it's like, I don't want this to be super, super long podcast again that we're talking about. But th there was just so many things that, that came out of reading that article that just made you think about stuff. And I, I think one of the things in this country, Har, is that back home in Scotland, the vast majority of people our club before country. Like they love the country, they love the national team, but their clubs are the be all and end all because community and they feel more attached to that. It's very different, I feel, over in North America and especially in Canada. There's a lot more people care about the national teams than the clubs. And I think that's what's kind of led to so much of this polarizing debate because there are people that as Zach said, are like, well, we don't care about the CPL. We don't care if they go out of business. It's like we only care about the national team. None of the national team players or the vast majority of the national team players aren't playing in the CPL. But again, this then comes back to 
if you don't have the CPL, if you don't have the Women's League with Project 8, there's not the development to bring these young players on that will then develop, that will then go to Europe, that will then be the national team. So it's a whole chicken and egg situation. And I think everybody would do a good job to step back and look at both sides and not just be black and white club v country. Yeah, again, this is not... You have to be... You have to be able to put aside. And obviously, I'm in a place where Vancouver FC is my local football club, and 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 I want what's best for, for that on a club level. But but, you, but so you have to. But you have to be able to look at the bigger picture. So yeah, I, I yeah, I, I like we, I've said before on the show. I've various times like I've been club over country probably in the past. But the more more you get into club football, the more it yeah it overtakes because. Yeah. You, you, you more there's more time there's more games and more whatever but uh yeah you do you're right you do need to be able to step back and put your perspectives aside to see what needs to happen for the overall betterment of the entire game in the in the country and our country can't lose another league because it won't happen again yeah and like har obviously you're big at covering the the women's football you're going down to australia you've written for the equalizer for years Project 8's coming along. You've always been our go-to person when we want to talk about the women's game on the show. It does feel that if the CSB deal goes and the CPL folds, folk will be like, well, we've got Project 8 coming forward. I think that shows the sustainability of domestic leagues is not good in this country without a lot of money going into it. And yeah, maybe the first year they'll get that bump and they'll get all the attention and everything. But on the both the men and the women's side, the money is not there to to keep these leagues sustainable. The owners are going to make big, big losses. And we've already seen it in the CPL. We've lost FC Edmonton. There's a couple of clubs also in trouble. It would feel a bad time for Project 8 to be starting. Now, let me go back a bit. Right. So Jason DeVos said in that piece that we can't put club football ahead of things and at the expense of the national teams. So if someone was to say to you, Har, mm-hmm. we've got money coming into Canada soccer. We can I we don't have enough to fund everything. We can only either fund the national teams and then we can't give anything to club soccer. Or we can give stuff to club soccer, keep the domestic league about, get this women's league off the ground but the national team might not get all the resources they need. It's not an ideal situation, but what direction would you think would be palatable to you? That's interesting. Obviously, you want the national teams to do well and you want the leagues to do well at the club level. I think, you know, they right now is kind of what they're doing is they're trying to share the piece of the pie and make sure that there's, there's enough for everyone and that's not really working out. And, you know, you have club teams and national teams when they're they're missing out and they want more resources. So I think if, you know, if the CPL went under, it would be terrible for, for soccer in this country. Obviously, we've got the World Cup coming up and, you know, one of the requirements is that you have a men's league. So that would be uh, really, that would be awful. And with Project 8 coming up soon, you want to have the best for that league across the country and give women an opportunity to play professionally in their own country. So, um, yeah, obviously we don't want to see them, you know, anything bad happen where they're not active. So 
that would be terrible. I think it's worth pointing out that CPL and Project 8, they're run by like different people, you know, they're different yeah. groups. And so Project 8 is not as much aligned with the CSB. Obviously, they have to get approval from Canada Soccer and, the, and FIFA eventually. So I think they're a little bit different and they're not, it's not as big as the CPL. And I think they're going to be starting out. So I think there'll be a buzz right when that gets going. But obviously you want the leagues to be active and you want to have players have an option to play. Yes, Zach? No, but I, I, how can you, how can you expect it to go better for project eight? If, if like, do you, do you, because there's uh, never been a women's league. I think people will be excited to go and watch the league when it first starts. Okay. See that, is an attitude not not just about the women's league so i'm not just having a go at her for that but that's an attitude that i found has prevailed throughout canadian soccer for the last few years folk are like oh yeah if we put a cpl team um in the lower mainland folk will come out in their numbers to watch it we'll sell it out no problem hasn't happened folk are like oh well you yeah, will we'll launch um league one and we'll be charging money to come in. But the demand for that level of football is not huge, so the, the gates aren't good because folk don't want to pay money for that. It's like, oh, we'll, we'll have this streaming service and folk will buy it so they can watch the game. Yeah. And not enough people do, and they just complain. It's not complain. even a short term. Like, no, I, I know, but... Yeah, but what, what I'm just saying is people always think things are going to do much better football-wise in this country than they do. And there's a big stream of things that have not gone the way that folk had hoped for. Now, maybe Project 8 will be great and it will take off. I think they will get a one, maybe two year bump. Crowds will be good. But then I can see the interest starting to wane. Now, we heard from Katie Collar in the last part, Whitecaps girls head coach. And she was saying that for those girls, knowing that this is coming up, it now gives them something to work towards. And that's what the CPL did on the men's side. But you have to think as well, young players must be watching all this news coming up and all these arguments that the players are having with Canada Soccer and just wondering about their future and what the future is going to be like for them. Because if we go back to the bankruptcy side of things, Zach, uh, now this is something actually Andy Petrillo had mentioned as well, but as soon as she mentioned it, I had exactly the same thought. As someone that comes from a financial background... And that somebody that when I worked in banking, I dealt with people that were declaring themselves bankrupt and stuff as well. If you declare bankruptcy, all your deals end. So Canada Soccer, yes, they would get out of the CSB deal that they might now feel handcuffs them and they want to get something a bit better. But they'd lose their Nike deal, which might mm. not be the worst thing considering those horrendous new kits they brought out. What was the point of that new kit? Anyway getting sidetracked but all those deals and all these sponsors that they brought in would end and they'd have to renegotiate with them now they might get them again they might get the same money again but they might also come back and say well we'd like to be involved and play a little bit more hardball and not give those numbers so that would be a massive gamble for them to do that and i don't think they will but i think they're using this as leverage to get csb to maybe give them more than maybe csb are wanting to offer them yeah i, I mean i from the legality point of view i don't know how, the, how, the, how that works right because you assume like when someone goes bankrupt can like obviously 
do they get sued by the people who like owe, they owe money to? Or well, if they, they owe money to folk, yeah. Well, it, it goes into like they'd be administrators that oversee it, and yeah. then they would look at what money is left, and then they would say to the administrators, "Okay, now I'm I'm just using these as random examples. So, say Canada Soccer had five million dollars in the pot." But they had 10 creditors that they owed a million dollars each to. So they owed 10 million. Now, they obviously can't get that. So they would get half because that's what's in the pot. So that's how it works out. It's like pro rata. And that's what's happened with football clubs in in the UK that have gone tits up. People don't get paid. Like the printers, the pie people, they, they, they lose out on money because the clubs haven't paid them. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you... The, I know some people think I'm too nice to the CSA. One area I'm not nice. I I, I really just I'm really frustrated with them. Was the Nike deal? One because I don't like Nike. Uh, two because it literally brought them in no money. Three because they took it over a deal that actually actually brought them in money. And if you want to criticize about something, that's something that you could actually criticize them for. I've been I don't know if it's out there, so I won't say. It, but I I've been told what what they could have made from a, a different option that for some reason they chose not to go with. And yeah, it's it's <laughs> the Nike deal. They literally get nothing from. So mm-hmm. it, that is one of the, the most awful things. Uh, did did Petrello or because I haven't seen what you watched, Michael? But is anyone else talking about what this does in terms of them hosting a World Cup if they go bankrupt? What no. does it no. that, was, that wasn't like, raised, but that's a very good question. Would, I've been wondering that myself because FIFA spend, can't be over the no. moon with a, a host suddenly declaring bankruptcy if it got to that point. Which I don't yeah. think it will. Yeah, but the vice president of FIFA would he have well, his that's, home, that's home country? He can have his little strings pulled, and he's just a guy from East Fan, remember? Yeah, we should get him on the show. We would love to get him on the show. He's. Not I wonder right though if, if Bev, I wonder if Bev or John would leave the national team as coaches and say, "You know, I'm fed up with this. I'll go coaching." somewhere well, else. They, they both money. must be fed up. I mean, yeah. if, if we look at the women's side, Har. You've got the World Cup coming up, and I, I again, we were talking about this before we were recording. So there was that other thing that had come out about, oh, will the Canadian players go on strike and not go to the World Cup if they don't get the deal? Now, that was never going to happen because they're not going to turn down that opportunity. For some of them, this might be the only chance they get to go to a World Cup. But then you were saying, Ha, that it was the initial tweet that blew things up was a little bit taken out of context yeah they, a little they we're bit. always going to go yeah if you read neil's article there's christine was kind of saying you know they, they were hoping to get a, a, a short-term deal done before they flew out but i don't think there was a serious threat of we're not going to get on the plane we're not going to australia i don't think that was something that was going to happen at all. yeah my, my understanding is there's still uh it's not the CBA, but there's still uh, the ideal is still hopefully that they will have a like World Cup compensation thing done before, yeah, that's before the tournament kicks off. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, they, they have to have. It's like if they don't, I mean, that would just be ridiculous. So you think something would be in place. Again, the CSA can say, well, you're here, you're not, yeah. not going to play and... Yeah. Whatever. To to go back to you know one of the things that CS CSB and CPL did offer it was they were trying to they they offered uh you know their stadiums as a an opportunity for the women to have a, a farewell game. I've heard an interview with Bev Priestman recently that basically essentially said that um that they 
one of the reasons why that didn't happen is because they had the, the opportunity to play the France games or the France game. Um, and they felt like they needed to take that for the best part of their preparation and that they needed to, I think it was head over earlier as opposed to have a game in June. Um, and so that the CPL did did offer that. And but the reason why Canada Soccer didn't take it is because it was viewed as it would alter what Bev's kind of plan for preparation was. Mm -hmm. And so that's why there was never that that offer was never taken up by by Canada Soccer from this from CSB to say, hey, free stadium, home uh home send off for the for the, the team before they go to the World Cup. Um Which I always thought the guys had and they didn't actually get a, a send off game. It wasn't I, a send-up, but they had a home game before they went. Wasn't it in September or something? Yeah. Yeah, but it wasn't like a big send-off thing. Now, Har, that was the other thing in Westhead's article. They talked about the international windows coming up in se September, October, yes. November. Yes. And to read that the money might not be there to allow them to do that is alarming, to say the least. Now... The men have to play in November because they've got qualification games that would get them potentially into Copa America. But, I mean, I I spoke to John a couple of weeks ago at Swanguard, just at one of the WFC2 games. We chatted about a number of things. And one of the things he was talking about is, like, he knows they need to get tested against better opposition and friendlies. And he was looking to try and do that in these September and October windows. Now, if one or both of those get taken away from him, that is alarming. But it mentioned in the article they were offered games against South Korea, which I think that one was the game that was going to be played in England. Yeah, and then yeah. they were offered a game against, what was the other team? Saudi Arabia, maybe? Saudi Arabia, yeah, that was Saudi Arabia in, in Austria. Yeah. yeah. But... Mexico's going to play them now. Mexico. Yeah, Jason DeVos said they couldn't agree right away. They had to go and work out finances. It looked like they were going to make $5 million from the game. Now, they must have known by that point that they were never going to be spending anywhere near $5 million. So I would have hoped a quicker decision could have come that they could have done that. But instead, they took too long and then Mexico swooped in. So, I mean, that's quite alarming and concerning, really, that the players might not have these games that they need. Yeah, they need to be playing games, and they need to be playing Tier 1 opposition. And, you know, if they're not having games in these windows, it hurts the development and the growth of the players. You know, it doesn't help John Herdman prepare for, for next year. So I think, you know, waiting too long, just getting any games at this point, I think they should just do that, even though it's not going to be Tier 1. Zach, what do you think? Yeah, I don't. I don't disagree with you uh, in terms of for both the men and the women that the the, the you should uh, we should uh, we shouldn't be at a place where we're saying hey we can't play in these windows like that's that shouldn't happen. However, uh, for for both or either of them, is it a case of where we say yeah okay we're playing one game in in each window because we could, that's all we can afford as we try and recover or whatever like. I, I, one of the interesting things of this of this audit will be is if it tells us how much money someone like John Herd, Herdman has actually raised for his programs over the years. Yeah. That's one thing I desperately want to know. Mm -hmm. um, um, yeah, and so for the women, when the women come back, are there any qualifying games that they have in this? I, 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 yes, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you asked that. It's a very important point. 
The women have the uh, Olympic qualifier That's match yeah. against Jamaica. It's two games. Is that of their own one... accord? Is that of their own accord, Hart? Yeah. They're going to play Jamaica, okay? They're playing <laughs> on the 18th in Jamaica, on September 18th in Jamaica. And then a week later, on the 26th, they're going to play in Canada, September 26th. Those are both Tuesdays. So they're going to come back off the World Cup and then have to beat Jamaica in this two-leg series to then go to the Olympic Games Yay. in, in Paris and France next I summer. I thought that was later in the year. Wow, that's so then, September. So then I ask you, is that Jamaica game on the 26th, is that the Olympic send-off game? The Olympic send-off yeah, qualification? I, I guess it would be. <laughs> no, no. Oh, I mean, that... That'll be their first home game in over yeah. almost a year and a half. A year and a half. I mean, if you're looking at that, and Canada soccer are saying, look, our money's tight, do they turn around and say, only the women can play in September, the men can't, and only the, the women men will have play, to play. Yeah, the, the men will play in November because they have to. They each and get then, their own month to play one or two games. Yeah, I mean, that is far from ideal. I mean, John Herdman, and we'll, we'll, we'll come to John in the next part, but whatever you think of him and his coaching or, or whatever, because obviously there's a lot more criticism coming him his way now, he has done so much for this programme to raise funds. And a head coach shouldn't have to be making these calls to basically plead for money. And, I mean, we spoke about in a, an earlier show, Zach, that on, on John's call... When the mm. squad was announced for champ for Concacaf uh, Nations League, he'd mentioned they only get a four day camp and everyone else was in camp and playing friendlies, and he yeah. used that after not winning the final as a reason for not winning the final, which I don't think was a valid reason. But we'll, we'll come to that in the next part. But it, again, it, 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 it shouldn't be used as an excuse for the game. But I, I as much as as much as you can say he was using it as an excuse for the game, I think it was more for him intentional to say, this is a, an ongoing serious mm -hmm. issue and I need to continue to put it before uh, the media, whatever. So there's no bigger time. I'm not going to have an, a bigger a bigger audience than after talking to the media after this final. And so I need to bring this up again because this is the one way I can continue to help put, in an ideal sense, positive pressure, if you will, on the situation, uh, whether it's, um, you know, on those at the CSA or whether that's maybe even in one sense on corporate Canada or like, or whatever, right? Like, yeah. Cause it's interesting. Cause John wants to talk to the media and he wants to talk to them about these things. So something that you won't know from today, Zach, John Herdman and Ali Ahmed were having a pre first gold cup game press conference today. Mm -hmm. So the bad weather had delayed it. So Har, myself, others had signed up to the, 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 the press conference and we all got an email from Canada Soccer saying, oh, it's been delayed because of the weather. We'll get back in touch and let you know the new time. Then this story had come out and none of us got an email telling us when the new time was and they went ahead with it just with the folk that had been there. So that was a way for me, I thought, that they were avoiding all questions. Yeah. And John Herdman's going to be battling to try and get his message out now. Yeah. And Canada Soccer's going to be like, let's try and keep John away from the media here. Yeah. It's not a new thing. No. It's not new. Uh, just one, one more thing about the 
this whole discussion. I, I think it's, and I think you've said it before, Michael, like a long, long time ago, but it needs to be said. Um, I know lots of people have applauded Rick Westhead in his uh, ventures into uh, asking some of these hard questions. I think this article was one of his more balanced and fair ones, if you will. Um, but it is, it is, there is an awkward element to this that he does work for one of these organizations that has failed to actually put their dollars behind their mouths, if you will, mm. and actually support Canadian football. One of the reasons why CSB exists is because companies like TSN and Sportsnet have not been willing to put money in it. And obviously they're doing it because they feel they can't get the ad revenue or whatever. I, you know, it's a trickle down. Yeah, or whatever. I mean, they're, they're doing it from a business decision. Yeah, but, but so here's you have this company that uh, has pulled their money out of the Canadian game um in, in one sense if i can say it that way um uh continue to criticize you know how 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 money is being used within the canadian game to try and make it better so i always think it like it's an it's a thing for me that i think is significant and needs to be brought up whenever we talk about one of his articles is that yeah he, he does he does a good he does mostly does a good job i think uh uh well i think this one was a good job but some of the other ones i, I didn't really think were really that that great but um he is coming at it from this stakeholder who has pulled out all their stakes, if you will. Yeah. Uh, last thing I'll say on it before we move on to different on-field topics is I think it's good that someone from Canada Soccer like Jason DeVos sat down and had this very frank and open chat. It's what's been missing for a lot of it. I've said it before and I'll state it again. The, the CSB deal is not great, but it was the best deal on offer at that time. And Media Pro, Canadian Soccer Business, they were the only people, as Zach's yeah. just said, that were putting that money up. There weren't all these suitors. There wasn't all this interest. There is now. But there's more. There's more now, but there's not. It's not. It's, it's, like, it, I, yeah. I don't think it's. I don't think it's what everyone thinks it is. Not I might here. be wrong. No, but no. yeah. And it, it's like they've got to be commended for that. And it, it isn't a great deal. And none of this is CSB's fault. They put a deal forward. Canada Soccer didn't have to take it. So CSB's made out to be the bad guys a lot here. And although a lot of the deal I feel is shitty and really stinks and kind of screwed over Canada Soccer in the grand scheme of things, with hindsight, back then when that deal was signed no one saw all this stuff coming yeah but anyway that that's enough chat about that article we could go a lot more into it we'd love to hear your thoughts as well aft in canada on twitter aft in canada hotmail.com but we're going to turn our attention now to on pitch matters as we're going to look at the nation's league that was the gold cup to come and a little chat about atiba hutchinson and we'll be back with all of that after this Hi, I'm Vanni Sartini, and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show.
Welcome back to the AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio, 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part, it's our last song from our Artist of the Month here at AFTN for the month of June, Irish Band Therapy. That's a song, a single, taken from their second full album, Trouble Gum, that was released back in 1994. The song was Die Laughing, one of my favourite therapy tracks. And I've played it because I nearly died laughing so much at Jimmy Carr on Saturday night. But don't worry, Zach, I won't be doing the Jimmy Carr jokes on the show, at least not yet. Who was it who tweeted that they were looking forward to your you making me feel awkward with your oh, yes. car material? Oh, that that was Crash Carivo. So yeah, he's going to be disappointed. I'm not doing a lot of the jokes. Yeah. I I have to kind of remember them, and then I, I'll drop them in casually over the, the next few episodes, and I'll I'll rewrite them a little bit to make them football related. But we're not here I to talk about that. Yes, we're we're here to talk in this part about Canada on the pitch. Now we'll start off. With the disappointing loss in the Canadian, in the CONCACAF, even, Nations League. 2-0 defeat to the US. Did we get a bit carried away with how good this team was and what they were going to do in this tournament, Zach? Or was that just me that got a bit carried away? I, I don't think so. I think the, the, the team is good enough to beat the US again in a moment like that. I think... I mean, getting getting into things. I, I think when I was watching the the semifinal, even though it was a clear cut, uh, you know, not too much to worry about a type of victory against Panama. Even in that game, I felt like the passing was not the passing, and just even the receiving of the of the passes and where they were. It was like they weren't confident is not the right word, but they were kind of like. Just you know, barely catching them or catching them with their with like their toe or like whatever. Like it wasn't crisp. It wasn't like really like they were in like third or fourth or fifth gear. You know what I mean? Like they weren't like purring along as a team. Mm-hmm. But it was more than enough to to beat Panama. Do, do you thought, think they were nervous? Did the occasion get? To no, them? I don't think. Uh, they, well, maybe, but I don't. I don't think so. Uh, I, I, I suggest the U.S. were better on the day and quite considerably better at that. Well, okay. <laughs> I think obviously, yeah, the US took two of their chances. We created chances. We should have scored multiple goals in that game, um, in, in my opinion. Yeah. I, I, I think I think um if you wanna criticize the players, uh, I think that's fair. There's players who miss chances. I think uh, Laren had a had a had a game that was you know, made you remember some of his earlier games in a national team jersey at I think Gold Cups and other tournaments in the States where he missed easier chances than what he missed on in the final, of course. But I think it's also, I don't know if criticism is the right word. I think I think it's fair to question Herdman and his coaching staff in terms of the changes they made to to the starting 11 and to the what appeared to be the, the formation and the tactical setup of the team. Uh, I love uh, Alfonso Davies. Uh, he plays for the, my first love in club football. Uh, and hopefully we'll sign a contract renew- renewal in the in the coming months there um, to extend his time there. Uh, he, I think, did obviously did extremely well in his substitute appearance in the semifinal. I don't think he was ready to start that game. I don't think he should have started that game based no. even on how the team played in the semifinal without him and 
based on what the team did in seven out of the 14 World Cup qualifiers without his presence on the pitch. Um, I'm not saying Canada's better without Alfonso Davies. I'm saying that I think they may be, uh, there's even a bit more togetherness when the, when he's not on the, on the on the on the field, there's a less reliance on him to do something special with his pace or his uh, his his abilities. I I think that um, so I think that was a significant error. I think in hindsight, uh, I really like Scott Kennedy, um, partly because he plays lower division football in Germany. Uh, partly nice. because for now yeah well he he did i guess you could say i had a really pleasant experience meeting his parents in doha lovely lovely people kirk and i love using him and when we play fifa when we start in the third division of the bundesliga create our own club and go you know all the way to the top we always bring him in uh to be our our center back because he has such amazing pace along with other canadians and other players we like but um uh no i really appreciate scott kennedy i think in in you know hindsight it if i think it would have been better to go with the slower uh vittoria for the game not not that uh kennedy uh, kennedy you know had a couple of plays that were not great um but i think the leadership and the experience of victoria would have been better to start with and maybe bring in kennedy later if if there were issues um and who's the third oh i think not oh yeah this kind of ties into alfonso davies oh there's two other ones i think not having sam start it was not great because sam is in maybe not the form of his life, but he's in a he's in very good form. He is coming off the biggest title win at club football he's ever had in an incredibly um, traumatic and dramatic situation that he's come through in these in these last few months. I think he performed exceptionally well in the semifinal and really deserved to play in the final. The last one for me, which was probably maybe even potentially even bigger than the Alfonso starting, was Jonathan Osorio. Jonathan Osorio, like Alfonso Davies, is not in form in club football. And I really, even though John, it appeared like John and the coaches wanted to uh, have a stronger presence or a stronger ability to take hold of the midfield, I feel that that's why they brought in Osorio, someone who's very good on the ball, um, uh, very good at keeping possession, obviously very good at distribution and getting forward and all those kinds of things, and can also put in a challenge. Oh, you know, one needs to and put in a, a shift, as Canadians would say. Um, but I think that I would never have started him in that game. I, I think, it, I think, and I'm not saying, and I know we will talk about this later. I'm not saying Atiba should have started, but I don't think, um, I don't think starting Osario was was the right was the right move uh, to 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 take. I would have, I would have, I could have even settled for playing Alfonso inside, where sort of where Osario was you know, with uh, the other two center midfields behind him and Sam wide on the left, I think would have would have been better to start the game. Um, so I, I think those things are, are fair to criticize. There's probably some other things I'm forgetting. Um, I don't think I don't think we are as far away from the U.S. as it maybe felt for people coming out of the game and definitely not as felt as I think some pundits and and people have been talking yes, about on we'll, social media we'll be coming both, to pundits yeah both both in the u.s and in canada and and, and elsewhere uh, i think that um this one will hurt um for a while especially for the the players and and the the supporters i think um i think hopefully it really prepares them for the next time they meet whether that's in the gold cup or maybe in a, a bigger stage down the road again in uh uh well, I guess the next biggest stage will be will be maybe at the World Cup and hopefully... well, Copa. Oh yeah, Copa. That's the next one. 
Um, yeah, if we to me, that's a massive thing that I can't wait oh, yeah. for. I'm so looking forward yeah. to that. So yeah, so all that to say is, I, I, yeah, we, uh, I was incredibly sad on the day and disappointed. I don't think that the U.S. is is that much better now. I know obviously they were missing players as well, mm-hmm. um, which is which is significant. And um, but yeah, I, I yeah, but I I, I don't know I, how what did, what did you feel about the performance? That was a long answer. Yeah, uh, that's it for the show, everybody. <laughs> I thought they played a bit disjointed. I thought they were yeah. kind of playing too much like individuals and not as much as as a team as they could have been. Well, the passes they were missing their passes. You know, they were in transition. It didn't really fit. It didn't really look right. And I think the U.S. was definitely stronger on the day. Canada. I we you mentioned before Zach started. You know, do we were we overconfident? Do we think Canada was going to go in and smoke them? I think I think they were overconfident. I think they were super confident at the World Cup. I think kind of we like we thought, oh, maybe we can beat the U.S., but I don't know that it was super overconfidence. I think they just they just didn't have a good game, and, and at this stage, that happens sometimes. I think mm-hmm. the U.S. was a better team, and they took their chances, and Canada didn't. And, if they'd meet in the Gold Cup or in Copa, it could be uh, certainly a different story. So I think, um, yeah, we'll see what happens. I would have started Sam as well, like you said, Zach. Yeah, I, what do you, what, it was also very, and again, I love I love him and I uh, strongly appreciate him. It was painful at the end to see Alfonso try and like be like, oh man, we need, we something needs to happen. I'm going to make it happen. And let yeah. me try a half a dozen times on my own. But yeah, that's that when Ken's so not good. That's when we're not at our best. Yeah. yeah. Like the big elephant in the room is what to do with Fonzie. And they've tried him in different positions sometimes. Like in this one in the same match, they kind of switch him about. But it, it's always like Scotland's got had this problem. Robertson? Where our, yeah, our two best players Tierney. play in the same position, Tierney and Robertson. So it's like they try and shoehorn them both into the squad, but they're both left backs. Yeah. So it causes issues. And in this case, Fonzie for Canada is way better. It feels uh, as an attacker, but then you see what he does at club level with Bayern. And I know he's kind of said he more wants to play an attacking role. That was one of the quotes that, that came out. But there does seem to be a, a, an issue, that, and he always seems to feel that he feels he needs to do it himself, as you say, Zach, and try and turn it on. I also think three at the back for Canada, the yeah. defenders that we have, is a disaster. Just waiting to happen. It, it, it was, but it was sort of like three at the back in possession, five yeah. at the back out of possession. But yeah, but they they need to be better at set pieces as well. It's yeah. like that consistently. Lets and the goalkeeper. We've not talked about the goalkeeper. I would yes. like to see. Another goalkeeper get an opportunity, please. I, I mean, I am so I'm surprised that Borian's in the Gold Cup squad. Yeah, so yeah. I'm I am a little bit as well. But maybe that, uh, uh, to be fair, maybe they think there's a significant drop off between Borian and Dane Sinclair, who I also appreciate. Um, and I mean, there maybe probably they, is, if we're being honest. Obviously, we 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 know. Sorry, we think that if Max was there, like the last Gold Cup, he would be the starter. He'd be the starter. But yeah. About Borian. Uh, I said when it happened, as, as Kirk and I were sitting here in this room watching it, that that first goal for the States reminded me of the save that Borean made in Edmonton, I believe it was against Mexico, when the game was 
I don't know if it was two nil or two one at that moment near near the end of the game, and um, so to me it was like yeah it's I I felt like I've seen him make that save before and on this occasion he didn't. Uh, I it, to me he wasn't nearly as bad as you know obviously what happened against Morocco right at the World Cup, but um, but yeah I don't disagree with you that uh, it's a it's an area an area to grow for sure. I mean I I, I finished the game feeling very disappointed, I almost let down. But that's a good thing, because that's what Canada's got us thinking now. So that's how far this team has come. But I, I think it just felt that the performance was flat, and I I think I got a bit carried away with what they were going to do, because there'd been so much talk in the build-up of, oh, the chance to win the first trophy in 23 years, and, and all that talk, and I think I just got swept up a little bit with it, as I'm bad for doing uh, in football at club level, at country level, and it's like when Scotland were in the Euros and we're like, oh, we're going to do this, we've got games at Hamden, we're going to get through the group stage, and then we crashed out. It's like, it seems to happen a lot. The post-game reaction to it in some quarters was very interesting to me. Going into it, John Herdman had said he feels that the media give him such a hard time more than any other coach. Now, Har and me have been on these calls and we feel the media give John a very easy go of it here. Softballs. Yeah. Yeah, I've joined you on some of those calls too and, and seen how how uh, how easy the questions are in, in, terms, in terms of that. I, I don't know, do you, is there something else though that he's referring to that that's not a part of those type of calls? No, I, I don't know. Maybe it was the written article about Fonzie at the World Cup or the criticism that yeah. he got because of the... Oh, we're going to go out and we're going to beat Croatia oh, and all yeah. that kind of backlash that he got. I mean, the, those okay, those things. Uh, the the Croatia comment, I think, I think he, I don't know, if, I can't remember what he said, but I think he kind of. We're going to go f Croatia. Yeah, I think he realized like, oh yeah, I should, I should have. I, that was a mistake. I think he, I think he sort of said, yeah, I made. Like I shouldn't. I not that he shouldn't have said it to the players, mm-hmm. but that he shouldn't have repeated it to the media after. Um, the, the 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 Davies thing, I think they did get unfairly treated in the media by uh, a journalist I don't I don't appreciate and you know until that mo until that until the tournament I didn't even know of, um and yeah, same. And, and so again someone like I don't, I don't honestly I don't care about their voice because they don't really care about uh, Canadian football unless it's you know at a World Cup so um, I, there are moments maybe you could say they have been treated unfairly I guess but um, yeah not. <laughs> Not not since then that I that I can think of, but I mean compared but, to other Concacaf nations and how the media treats them, I think oh. he's it's a far but, cry. It's not a real similar comparison. Oh, yeah. But it's also a symptom, right? It's the a heat symptom. Is low. It's yeah. a symptom of where the game's at, though, right? The bigger oh, your yes. game is, the more yeah. the yeah. more criticism there is, the more eyes there are, the more attention. Yeah. yeah, the criticism was a lot higher post-game. And if yeah. John ever wants to go into club football, especially back in his homeland, it's like be prepared for a lot more under the sport. Yeah. But, but, he, yeah. but he knows that, right, Michael? Oh, yeah, he, 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 he does. But, but, I mean, um, the, the big post-game thing, obviously, was, was Christian Jack. And I've got to say, I, I loved what Christian said, and I agreed with the vast majority of it because when John's in front of the camera he's always trying to be positive he reminds me a lot of Robbo because Robbo told us I'll never throw my players under the bus yeah I'll always throw myself under the bus if anything like that needs to happen I will always stand up for my players because as soon as you say anything about them publicly you lose them 
And I think that's the approach that, that John yeah. Herman takes as well. Totally. But when he came out and said afterwards that that the players were proud and they gave it all and everything like that, KJ rightly said they shouldn't feel like that. They should be angry at how they played and they should be disappointed at how they played. And he, he felt it was a shambles. I, I jotted some of these things down. The, they couldn't grab possession. The, the, there's reasons for the failures and there's excuses. And that Canada now is at a stage in the world game where they need to look at the reasons for failing and not making the excuses. And that there has to be fundamental changes all round. I mean, what did you make, Har? We'll start with you. What did you make of, of KJ's comments? It was a very passionate post-game speech from KJ. And I also agree with a lot of what he said. I don't know about fundamental changes. I think maybe a few tweaks here and there. But he's spot on in regards where, you know, people should be, like, upset or angry, you know, that Canada didn't play as well as they could have been could have it really shows how far uh, football has come in this country when we see the result and fans and people are like they're not just happy that they got there that they just got to that game they want a result they want the trophy so i think it's a positive step from that point hopefully they can play a lot better going forward and we can have more discussions like this yeah i i i I have a strong appreciation for kj i think he's uh, he's someone who obviously is not from Canada, but has moved here and has in one sense kind of become Canadian. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I, even when I disagree with him, I, I appreciate his perspective and I appreciate how he, how he brings it. Um, it was, I think it was, it was, it was interesting piece of broadcasting, right? Cause you had KJ come on and say, yeah, we're going to hear from the coach and he, and, and I, would impl- sort of implore him not to give these excuses. And it was like two or three or whatever. And they went to Herdman and Herdman gave like all of them. Yeah. And it was like, and so partly again, like I said earlier, I, partly Herdman, I think did that because especially with the financial piece, because he feels he has to continue to put that forward. Um, and I think Michael, you touched on the other main piece of re- of the reason why his post game was the way it was is because yeah, he's not going to publicly criticize his players. So he's going to say they gave their all, they, they they can be proud of their performance, like all those kinds of things that he said. Um, and I, I, I said probably maybe a little bit with you, Howard, that I, I, I don't know if little tweaks is the right a- answer, but it, as we're, again, this is like our conversation with the, the CPL, CSB, and all those other, and CSA and all these other things. As we grow as a footballing nation, yeah, we, things will change. And so I think in one sense, KJ is right. Things probably have to change in terms of how how people feel and how things are done and all these kinds of things. The, the degree to what that looks like or the conversation that goes into shaping that, I think is is maybe can be or should be different than, let's say, Europe, right? Like, And I also think that someone like KJ, I mean, he sort of did this in one sense, but someone like KJ and some others, they have the opportunity to shape how we do that, right? So it's the it's the constructive criticism or the extreme frustration or or whatever. But I think we can um, not just uh, in this sense replicate what is in Europe, but maybe 
have a way to have these conversations or to be critical that are maybe different not not a not a totally canadian oh we're sorry we lost and let's move on but like uh okay yeah like what did go what did go wrong why did it go wrong what needs to change um kind of way if that makes sense yeah Herman spoke afterwards again about needing more resources and more prep time and all that's true and I'm I'm pretty sure that the players are angry at themselves at how that played oh, out yeah. and well some didn't some of them come out Michael and say yeah if we had more prep time I think the result would have been the same yeah and Atiba also came out and he disagreed with some of John's comments as well. Well, that was that was the person I was thinking of. He's the one yeah. person that if we had if we had the same preparation, it would have been the same. Yeah, and it it's a tough one because you're proud that the country's got to this stage, and I think everyone got swept up again with that wave and and qualifying and topping the octo, and we've been quite. And by we, I mean, like, Canadian soccer fans, quite vocal about, oh, we're the best team in CONCACAF, etc., etc. And then you get to go up against one of the two teams that's always been one of the best two teams in CONCACAF for the longest time. And then then you get beat. And That's one of the things I'm going to miss the most, is greeting Mexicans and Yanks and Ticos and just being, being able to say to them, Greetings from the top of CONCACAF. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, who knows? Maybe we will be again after the Gold Cup because that is the next competition. Having a look at the squad, I'm not so sure because I I had like a YouTube thing up one day because I was working on stuff and I, I, I saw Alex's tweet that he was doing a live show, uh, him and JJD that do uh, a live thing on One Soccer. So I, I had that on for, for a little bit. And they'd said, they put the roster up for the Gold Cup. And it wasn't Alex, it was the other guy that had said, I mean, you look at that squad and that's a squad that you think, oh, we're capable of winning this thing. And I'm looking at the squad that's on the screen going, are they looking at the same squad that I'm looking at? Because that front line, that forward attackers is not screaming to me tournament winners. But I think uh, I think it has potential. But I think the the thing is the the uh, the, the Americans have brought an MLS All Star team essentially, and yeah. But the Go Mexican, Julian. but the Mexicans brought essentially the same group of players, right? Yeah, which as we saw, stronger though they're a bit stronger, and they just sacked their coach, so they got a new coach. So they may be but, motivated to yeah. not suck from us. And for the US, it's. I mean, they've got all the momentum right now. They're at home, as always. I think it's going to be tough for Canada, not in the group stages. I mean, I think they should, like, dance through that. I mean, we're recording this on Monday night and Guadalupe's t tomorrow, and you're like, well, you, they, they should we, beat them. We, we, we have some history with Guadalupe, though, right? Like, yeah. way back. It's like, Guadalupe is not a country. Yeah. I could hear us chanting in the Swan yeah. Guard days if things like that were, were still around. But... I I think this might be a bit of a struggle of a tournament for them, to be honest. There's some surprise omissions for me in, in the squad. I mean, we knew some of the big-name players weren't going to be there, and, like, Sam's dropped out this morning, and they've brought in, like, Liam Fraser and another player as well. Goalkeeping-wise, I don't think Borean should have been in. Who? who? Stephen Stachio. Oh. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He's out he's now too, right? Yeah. I, I I thought 
Jonathan Sirwa might get a, a chance to, to be in the squad, especially after standing on his head in the, the Voyager's Cup final. Um, I, I, I can understand, like, Sean Yer's injured, so he's not in the squad, and if he, he might be fit for the later end of the, the tournament, but maybe you don't want to take that risk. But f- for me, I think this tournament will be a bit of a struggle for them, but I think that might also be good for them because they need to face a bit of adversity after what they had in the octo to maybe take them down a little bit and, and work on some stuff. Yeah, I think especially with, if we can say, uh, September, October, November friendlies in doubt or maybe not, uh, you know, six of them or whatever, I guess two competitive match and four friendlies. Um, with some of those friendlies in doubt, I think these these games are incredibly important. Um, there's some players there that they're going to look at or that they've seen before that they're going to look at again and see, okay, are they at the level? Um, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I'm I'm excited to see I'm excited to see what happens, but yeah, it's not like going into the Nations League where you have great exp, uh, have yeah. great expectations. Even though I do think they could pull something off. Um, I, I, the crazy thing, Har, is I, I've always kind of said in the past, oh, the Gold Cup, it, it doesn't for me, it doesn't mean much because they play it so often. For one thing, I see this as quite a Premier Tournament more than the Nations League, which. Whether it's here, whether it's over in Europe, the Nations League just seems like a kind of made-up tournament that they've got just to try and get more money from TV time and stuff. The Gold Cup, I think, if they won that, is more significant for me than they would would be winning the Nations League. But how do you see them doing this month? Uh, No, they're all a bunch of made-up tournaments just to uh, bring in revenue and bring in money. So, um, Gold Cup, I mean, if if they win, yippee. I mean, there's not everyone's full strength roster. Yeah. I think we'll, we'll see what happens in the knockout round. I think that's what we'll see how Canada's tested when they play in elimination games right now. I mean, you could put you guys out there and they wouldn't be in any trouble. So I think... I, I um, fancy myself scoring in some of these games. I think, I, I yeah, think I've got be, the taking of Guatemala. Yeah, you and Cavallini, though, all those red cards. Oh, yeah, that's true. Mm. Yeah. Good old Cava, still still part of it. We we mentioned this when we were talking Whitecap sack, and then I'll I'll move on to to round this bit off. But excited for Ali Ahmed getting in the yes. squad. Yes. Yeah. No, I think that's that's one of the the bright spots. I, I hope, especially with obviously Sam being out, that it means he'll get to some actual time on the field. Yeah. Um, I mean, that but... would be good. But of course, one man they will not have on the Gold Cup squad. Atiba Hutchinson hung his boots up from club and country. It was very disappointing that he didn't get that last hurrah, I felt, in the the Nations League final. I can understand why they were chasing the two-goal lead. But then when it was late in the game, it's like, bring him on. Let him have that farewell. That that was the big disappointment from that side of it for me, Har. Yeah, that was surprising. Uh, knowing how much John is a player's coach, I would have thought that Atiba would have come on for maybe just the last few minutes just to get in his, in his final game. So that was a surprise. Uh, I maybe have an unpopular opinion. I think maybe he should have hung up his boots after the World Cup. So, yeah, um, yeah not a lot left in the tank there. And so um, we'll see what he does next. Maybe he'll do some coaching. Maybe he'll... 
obviously stay involved in the game. Uh, what do you reckon, Zach? Yeah, I, I I'm okay that he. I would have been okay if he stopped in Doha, but I think I was okay, especially because there was this chance to to win a trophy, mm -hmm. um, to go out on, on that kind of note. Um, it's gonna be yeah, it's gonna be weird to not have him after so long. I, I remember meeting him in Toronto in two thousand seven or two thousand eight after a World Cup qualifier behind BMO, um, and then obviously, you know. Uh, doing some stuff for you michael for for aftn yeah. uh, in vancouver uh he uh i think his last the last time i think it was the the last time or second last time he played at bc place he kind of led a post-match celebration with us with the void in the voyager section which was awesome and um and then yeah he's just always he's always been there and he's he's aside from the the great things he's done for the national team like you know um memorable moments like the the call against the u.s when he got called offside and you know in the scoring with his butt to in the world club qualification run and all these different things um uh i mean at club level what he's done to progress Cana canadians and canadian footballers is is huge what he did in denmark with copenhagen what he did at psv and in, in, uh, in eindhoven in holland is, is huge and what he did in turkey was no less huge at besiktas when it, most of these places, when you went, when you if you would go there as a Canadian footballer before Tiba, no one cared about you. But once Atiba played in these places and they knew that Canada could produce quality players, if you went there, they would they would you'd say I'm from Canada. They're like, oh, are you like, oh yeah, we know Atiba, he's great. Like, how do you compare to him? Kind of kind of thing. Or like, are you on that level? And so uh, he broke some ground, um, it kind of trailblazed, if you will. So. Um, yeah, he gonna gonna miss him incredibly. I I wish he had come on. I there was this. I listened to some people have a discussion about, you know, if he had come on, or then you putting up the white flag and saying, yeah, the game's over. Uh, I kind of I personally would disagree with that. Although mm. I, I think his legs are gone. I think yeah. he limited. I think he I think he could have brought a little bit of impetus to the, that the side was desperately lacking um and the, and in that in the middle of the park they could have they could have used him um i can't remember which of the five subs i would have brought him on for instead of uh i can't yeah i can't remember which person i would have preferred him to 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 have come on for but yeah i, I would have preferred that if he came on i think that would have been better than to go out the way he did but he's a, a humble person who i think has yeah yeah a great servant to canada uh for the national team and yeah we wish him all the very best so Atiba was made available to media the day before the CONCACAF Nations League final. Pretty sure all of us on the call were then expecting him to take to the pitch the, the next day in that final, which, as we've mentioned, sadly he didn't. But got a chance to ask him a couple of questions on that call. If people are interested in hearing the, the whole call, let me know and I'll, I'll put it out in an extra podcast. But... It was great to have one last chance to chat to Atiba whilst he was still a player. I'm sure he will be involved with the team down the line in some capacity and we'll get a chance to chat to him again. Obviously, we'd also love to sit down with him at some point and just do a big kind of retrospective of what has been a fascinating career. But for now, let's just make do with a couple of questions I asked him on that call. Here's the man, the legend... Atiba Hutchinson.
Hey Atiba, when you look at the player that you were when you, you made your senior debut all the way back in January 23 to the player that's going to be taking the pitch tomorrow, how have you seen your own development grow in that time with the national team? Yeah, um, I was a different player, I think. Um, you know, when when you're younger, you just, you enjoy, obviously, you know, every time you go out onto the pitch and uh, you play free. Um, I was a lot more kind of off off the hook, um, not as much experience. Um, and, you know, the older you get, the more you understand what what is expected of you, what your role is, what you need to, you know, to give to the team. Um, and I think I, I've learned a lot, you know, playing here with the national team, playing with, you know, the different clubs I've played with um, has helped me along the way. And um, obviously just gaining that experience and knowing what it takes to, you know, to win games and, um, yeah, you know, helping the team obviously qualify for, for a World Cup. That's just something that, you just get you gain over time so i think what helped me most was was experience and uh yeah that's the best way to to put it you look at this squad now and they're on the verge of winning their first trophy in in 23 years still a, a lot of work still to get done to do that but when you look at the ups and downs that you've had with the national team could you have imagined that you would be going out with a squad that is so talented has been to a World Cup, is going to be hosting a World Cup, has a chance to to win silverware. And what is the ceiling for this squad? Can they go on and, and win more trophies at more international stages? Um, yeah, to be honest, I didn't think that, you know, um, this this time would come where we have so much, you know, so much talent in the squad. Um, I, I felt like this would have been, you know, years from now and, Things just really came together, uh, you know, very quickly. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm just happy at where we are as a team, um, how the future looks for this team, how much depth there is, uh, you know, in, in Canada now. Uh, it's something that you need to see to, to be successful. And uh, I think, you know, the sky's the limit for this team. I think, uh, you know, now we're, we're playing here for a trophy tomorrow. And uh, I think we believe that, this is this is a turning point for us and you know we'll be continuing to play for for trophies um you know for for qualifying for world cups um that's a new standard for us so yeah yeah it's a great time in you know canadian football and i think it, it will just continue to get better and better and bigger thanks so much and good luck tomorrow and it's always been a pleasure chatting with you thank you Tiba Hutchinson there, sad to see him finally hang up his boots. It's it's going to be weird watching Canada going forward in a team that does not have a Tiba Hutchinson. It just always felt, like I've said before, that he was a player that was just going to go on and on and on and just never stop playing. But that day has come. We wish Atiba all the very best in whatever he does in the next stage of his career. I described him there as the man, the legend. And that brings me nicely on to this week's wavelength that we're going to round the show off with. And it's a special wavelength. We've got this episode talking of men that are legends. Long-time listeners to the show will know how much I love Frank Sidebottom, the English comedian from Timperley, real name, 
Chris Seavey. Chris sadly passed away on June 21st, 2010. So last week was the 13th anniversary of his death. Died at the age of 54 and was just a guy that I just watched on TV when I was growing up. Loved him so much. Never got to see Frank Sidebottom live. We've played a number of his songs on our show over the years. And to be honest, I actually thought we had played all of Frank Bottom's football-related songs in Wavelength, but I had a look back, and although we've played snippets from this song on the show before, it's never been an official Wavelength. Turns out there's also another couple that I've played snippets from before, so folk will know it, but I've never played the full song in Wavelength, so we've got those that we can bring you down the line. But just to commemorate the anniversary of Chris Seavey, Frank Sidebottom's death, Want to play you a Frank Sidebottom song to end the show tonight? This was a song from 1987, and you can find it on a a variety of releases that that Frank Sidebottom's had out over the years. What I highly recommend is you get Frank Sidebottom's fantastic showbiz box set. It's a four-disc CD and a one-disc DVD that encompasses all of Frank Sidebottom's career. But the song we're going to bring you on this show... From 1997, guess who's been on Match of the Day? Jimmy Hill's Laundry. The lady on the corner that don't 
Frank Sidebottom there, guess who's been on Match of the Day, and that is it for this episode of the AFTN Soccer Show. Thank you for being with us, thank you for listening. Just before we go though guys, let us know where we can find you online, starting with you Har. I'm on the internet, so if you see my stuff on there, that's really awesome. Zach, where can folk find you online, any final thoughts? Um, you can find me on uh, Twitter at Zachary A.M. Uh, yeah, a couple of things I want to say. Uh, Har, it's good to see you because I haven't seen you, I feel like, forever. Even yeah, though you look good. Even good though we're, we're just looking at each other through a screen. Um, I, in case I don't see you before you leave, I hope you have an awesome time going to the oh. World Cup. And yeah, I look forward to following your... Thank your, you very uh, much, Zach. really appreciate as, it. As you share when you're there because it's going to be an amazing experience and I know you're going to love it and uh, enjoy it and uh, and I know I, I know you, so I know you're also going to be working very hard. De- so, definitely subscribe thanks. to all our stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I'll um, be doing lots of stuff. Thank you very much. Uh, the other thing I want to say is today, finally, after I've lived in this community where I live now in Abbotsford for almost four years, today it finally happened. I finally got to have uh, a brief but a good uh, moment uh, just to connect with one of my neighbors um uh, i think he would be okay if i called him the wee man <laughs> colin miller oh but, um so i uh, my my wife had the day off my my son's done school but my daughter's still at school so my wife and i were uh, my wife was coming to the office with me today to do some volunteering and so i we were driving my daughter to school dropped her off and i always see him but like I always see him like he's going the same way as me and it's like too late. I'm like, oh, wait, who's that? I'm like, oh, that's Colin. And I've like gone past him. But today, finally, I he was coming towards towards me with he's walking out, walking his dog and wearing today. And today I couldn't miss him because he's wearing uh, I don't know if it's the newest, but he was wearing a, a Rangers kit. So obviously I'm driving to see a Rangers kit. And I'm just like, oh, and I'm like, oh, so my wife's like, what are you doing? Because I like pull over onto the sidewalk. <laughs> And Colin comes over. My wife's like, "What is going on?" And he's walking his dog, and he and he comes. He's looking in the window, like, "What? What is this car doing?" He's this crazy Abbotsford person. Yeah. So I was just like, "Hey, man!" And so we just chatted very, very, very briefly. But he also told me. So that's one Scotsman. He told me about uh, a, another Scots. A sad thing about a Scotsman today, who he knew from his time at Rangers, the passing of Craig Brown. Happened yes, to him, former right? Scotland manager. I remember Craig. I think my probably my introduction to Craig Brown was. Him coaching that um, uh, intense and passionate side at Euro '96, nice. uh, when of course you had that e- epic game against uh, against England at Wembley, um, and uh, yeah, so just sad for you know him, his family, and obviously your your big tartan army, uh, large Scottish uh, community people. But it was it was longest serving Scottish national team coach. Yeah, he was he was quality. I had a lot of respect for him um and uh yeah anyways it was nice to see colin and just catch up and say hi well my final thought talking to colin then i don't know if 
either of you have seen on the Whitecaps website, they have Colin's key to the game in the build-up yeah. to the game. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The yeah. photo they're using is about 25 years old. Yeah. They really could do with getting a more up-to-date photo of Colin. Either that or it's like the picture of Dorian Gray and he's got some photo of himself up in the attic. I don't know. Yeah, I was going to say, maybe he likes that photo of him. He probably does like that photo of him. <laughs> Takes years off him, literally. Anyway, I'm Michael McCall. You can find all our stuff on AFTN.ca, AFTN Canada on Twitter, YouTube.com backslash AFTN Canada. Check all our stuff out there. We've got a few things in the works for the podcast over the coming weeks and months. We might try a couple of new things and maybe bring out a couple of special episodes on the same podcast feed. That'll be a little bit different from the AFTN Soccer Show, so we'll see how that goes. But thank you for being with us. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you for joining us this week, Har. I'll see you a few more times before you head off to Australia, but have a great trip when you go down there. Give Har a follow on, on Twitter, at Har Journalist. She's always got some good stuff. We'll be back with another show soon. Until then, thanks for listening. Take care. Mon the Caps and Ali La Rouge. Going to your first match is an experience you never forget. The atmosphere of what's going on around the pitch looks beautiful and you always look and go, wow, I'd love to play here one day. If you get the bug, it's going to stay with you for life.